I am here with convention sponsor Amazon and Mr. Peter Korn, who is Director of Accessibility for Amazon Lab 126. Everyone would love to know what is Amazon Lab 126? So Amazon Lab 126 is the organization that creates all of our devices. Peter, tell us a little bit about Amazon at this year's convention. So we are joining several different sessions starting Saturday, June 30th. We are presenting in the BITS session at 10 a.m. The following day, Sunday, July 1st, we're joining the plenary session at 9 a.m. And also on July 1st, we're joining the audio description program panel, Industry Updates from Media, at 3.45 p.m. In addition to those, I'll be in the audience of various audio description program, and Braille events throughout the convention. Amazon has had quite a year, I would say. Tell us a little bit about some things that have gone on between last year's convention and our upcoming gathering. It's true. We've been quite busy. Last year, we announced the launch of several important things. Our debut of audio description for Prime Video, which we launched with over 100 titles. Since that launch over the last 12 months, we've added over 1,500 hours of audio-described content. And at this point, every new Amazon Studios original show or movie launches with audio description. The other thing we showed brand new last year was our first Fire TV edition smart TVs. And we debuted the uh, Braille output from our VoiceView screen reader on Fire tablets and our brand new Echo Show. This is a device containing She Who Shall Not Be Named in a device with a screen. The Echo Show had the first multimodal device for her, and it was also the first device category that we launched with VoiceView with magnification there from day one. So since last June and July in the last convention, we've done a number of of substantial releases. This past September, we added a version two of Braille, which included um, input in uh, grade one, grade two, UEB and computer Braille, as well as a host of new Braille cording commands for navigation, a find command, text editing, web navigation. Also in September, we introduced magnification for Fire TV, and we rolled that out quietly as an over-the-air update to every Fire TV in the field, going back to the original that we sold in 2014. This magnifier goes to 10x. It integrates very well with VoiceView for customers who want both speech and Braille and it magnifies everything except the show itself. So if you have any overlays or menus while the show is going on, those are magnified. In November, we introduced the 10th anniversary Kindle e-reader. The Kindle e-reader has included the VoiceView screen reader for several years now. And of course, the 10th anniversary continued that. But the 10th anniversary edition included several other useful accessibility features, a 
large display setting that makes many of the items in the user interface significantly larger, an invert black and white setting for customers with photophobia, and many more larger font size options for customers who want really large print but maybe wanted a little larger than this size or a little smaller than the top size. We introduced, I think, another six uh, large font options. And then finally, in our very busy November, we updated the VoiceView screen reader with a host of new gestures. We included, finally, a stop speech gesture, multiple read all options from the selected item or the first item, we introduced media controls to start and stop media. We introduced a special gesture for going to her from your tablet. Screen curtain, the ability to turn speech on and off if you are using Braille. And we added a learn mode, something that's quite common on desktop screen readers. So you can practice all of your gestures without unintentionally making some change to your device. We closed out 2017 with a bang. In December, we introduced math support for Kindle eBooks. That math support is available on Fire tablets and on PCs, and even more on PCs with the NVDA screen reader. That math support is expressed as MathML or using Nemeth math codes on your Braille display. And we launched another multimedia Echo device, a small round device called an Echo Spot. And again, like every device with a screen from Amazon Lab 126, it comes with voice view, it comes with magnification. Wow. So that closed out our year. That is quite a year. We have not slowed down in the first half of this year, starting in March. We introduced a feature that is perhaps of interest to our deaf and hard of hearing friends. We introduced captioning for Alexa. Microsoft's chief accessibility officer, Jenny LeFleury, loves this. She is deaf, so she uses captioning on her to understand what she is saying in response. And the other exciting thing we did in March is we introduced Talking Amazon Locker. So Amazon Locker is a way for customers to receive or return packages to Amazon without needing to have them at your door or at your workplace. You can choose one of thousands of lockers across the country, as well as in Europe, and the package will be delivered to that nearby locker. You can request that that locker be at a height that is comfortable for folks in wheelchairs or scooters, and you can use your personal headphones to plug into the headphone jack and have a complete audio interface to that locker. Every Amazon locker already has this feature. This past May, we did something really neat for the retail website. We updated the process by which vendors upload information about products that we sell. Now all products from all vendors must include alt text on their images. Going forward, any product that you find from a third-party seller, the images in that detail page will include alt text. We reject it otherwise. 
And then finally, because just, we're not done yet. <laughs> well, you know, we're we're into June, and we couldn't let June go by without a last few items. This month, we have introduced two new things. We have updated the Fire TV Edition smart TVs. We made an announcement last month with Best Buy and Toshiba, and we are going to be releasing. Throughout this year, 11 television models that all have Fire TV and She Who Shall Not Be Named and Voice View and Magnification and Audio Description all built in. And the first three of these 11 are now up for sale. These are all 4K ultra high definition TVs. They all have three HDMI inputs a coaxial antenna for over-the-air broadcast, optical input and output, USB input, Ethernet, RCA audio, headphone output, and a dual-band Wi-Fi system. And these are fantastically accessible televisions at uh, very affordable prices. The last and final thing that we (laughs) released is the Fire TV Cube. Fire TV Cube is a mashup of two great tastes that taste great together. You have a 4K Fire TV uh, set-top box combined with an Amazon Echo. You can control your accessible Fire TV experience from your couch without needing a remote. And the Fire TV Cube includes an infrared emitter to control the rest of your home entertainment system. This means that you can simply sit on your couch and ask her to tune to cable channel 7, and the Fire TV Cube will use its infrared emitter to turn on your TV, turn on your cable box, tune to that channel, and away you go. And does that work with any uh, cable system? It should work with virtually any cable system, any television, any audio-video receiver. We have a huge, long list that we support, and we continue to add more to that list. So the Fire TV Cube is available for $119.99. And, of course, you can find Amazon Anytime, 24 by 7, 365 days a year at Amazon.com. In particular, Amazon.com slash accessibility is the homepage for everything related to accessibility anywhere at Amazon. If you or someone you know is blind from retinitis pigmentosa, there may now be light at the end of the tunnel. Known as the Second Sight Argus II Retinal Prosthesis System, this is the only FDA-approved treatment for end-stage retinitis pigmentosa. Find out more by calling 888-826-2695. Call 888-826-2695 to learn more about an FDA-approved system that provides useful artificial vision for those blinded by retinitis pigmentosa. Once again, the number to call is 888-826-2695. 
1-800-273-2695. Call now. Argus 2 is indicated for patients who are completely blind due to retinitis pigmentosa. Possible side effects that may require further treatment include wound reopening, low eye pressure, eye infection, and retinal detachment. For more information, including all potential risks associated with the device and procedure, call 888-826-2695. That's 888-826-2695. Or visit our website at secondsight.com. Hello, this is Larry Turnbull with ACB Radio, and welcome to the 2018 Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind in St. Louis, Missouri. And with me now is Joel Moffat of Comcast. As you know, Comcast uh, was the first uh, cable company to bring out the voice guidance for many users and get uh, the voice remote going and get the uh, shortcut to audio description and all the great features that We've enjoyed for quite a while now. So, hello, Joel. Hi, Larry. It's good to talk to you again. Thanks for having me on. Oh, glad to have you. So, with all those great features that uh, Comcast has put out for us, uh, is there anything new coming down the line for us uh, that we can look forward to? Oh, sure. Yeah, we've always got new stuff brewing and uh, just incremental improvements along the way, as well as some some larger features that we're rolling out. I believe that last year, uh, Larry, we spoke a little bit about our speech rate feature for voice guidance. I think at that time, speech rate was just around the corner. That was kind of our first uh, voice guidance uh, enhancement or, or, or option, if you will. So speech rate is now live. You can choose from our kind of regular rate, our fast rate, or our fastest rate. So, of course, for customers who are more accustomed to using screen readers, you can adjust that and feel more at home. And for customers who have never used screen readers before, you might want to stick with that that slower pace that the regular setting offers. So when we first roll out voice guidance, that was intentional to kind of roll it out with this more deliberate rate of speech. But now that uh, voice guidance has advanced a little bit, it's nice to have that feature to, to bump up the speech rate a little bit. Um, also last year, we had talked about uh, some X1 app accessibility, notably Netflix, was on the horizon at that point. So now Netflix, which uh, for those that don't know, uh, if you're an Xfinity X1 customer, you can go ahead and uh, fire up the X1 Netflix app, sign in one time with your Netflix credentials. And from then on, you can search for Netflix titles within X1. So you don't have to switch inputs on your TV. You don't have to change devices. You can just use voice commands just like you do with your, your voice remote every day to search for Netflix stuff and, and find it and watch it. So um, you can browse all of the Netflix titles that are available from within X1, and it's not until you, you know, press OK to watch that show that it's going to take you into the Netflix experience. But once you're in that Netflix experience now, if you've got voice guidance enabled, voice guidance is going to stay on and talk you through the Netflix experience as well. Uh, also, last year, we had talked a little bit about Olympics. We were uh, uh, coming off of the, the Rio Olympics. The, you know, the past summer Olympics was, was great. We had our first live video description, um, which was fantastic. And, you know, that's given way to more recently uh, video description on these Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, as well as the Paralympics in Pyeongchang. So that was really pretty exciting to see all that happen. And see this live video description happen on these sports that have previously been largely inaccessible for the blind community. So 
those are the few things that were coming up when we talked last year. Uh, now that we're here in 2018, we do have um, some other new things to talk about. Um, among them is just a general focus on uh, basically ease of getting at video described content. So I might have mentioned before that we've got that voice command where you can say shows with description and you can get to this Xfinity X1 landing page if you've got our excellent operating system uh, where you can find all the titles we've got available with description. That includes all the Netflix stuff as well. So you've got this basically this, this collection of all the stuff that we offer through our content library at Xfinity and all the stuff that's available on Netflix, whether it's you know shows, movies, uh, documentaries, it's really all there, as well as a view of everything that's airing with description right now. So whereas a handful of years ago, it was very difficult to find the content that had description, um, as I think many people still struggle with, uh, X1 offers a great alternative to be able to find content with description very easily just by saying that simple voice command. And then once you find something to watch with description, you can just go ahead and say the word description with your voice remote to turn description off or on. So throw back to even just relatively recently, maybe a couple years ago, where you were having to go maybe 20 button presses deep into menus to, to find and, and turn on description. Uh, now you can do that with the aid of voice guidance, with the aid of voice control, and do it with a simple voice command. So ease of use making things uh, just a simple button press or, or a voice command away. Um, so yeah, we're working with content partners. I think we discussed this last year a little bit, working with studios and content providers to really increase the volume of content we have available. And then also working with the NBC side of our own house to continue to offer things like described Olympics, described Paralympics, described special events, um, like the, the Broadway, um, the, the live musicals that NBC tends to air around the holiday time. So yeah, a lot of exciting stuff happening with description, making it just really easy to, to find stuff to watch. And as I mentioned, just on the general ease of use front, um, making things easier and easier to get to. So you're no more than a single key press or a voice command away. Um, something that's really cool that's come up here in 2018, we've now got the ability for Xfinity X1 users just to say a voice command like the word accessibility just going to take you right to your accessibility settings all in one spot. And you can also just press the B key on your remote to get there as well. So you've got a key press you can do, and you've got a voice command you can do, find all of your accessibility stuff in one spot. That includes the video description collection, that includes help and tips, and of course all the features like video description and voice guidance, closed captioning options, all that good stuff, all in one spot. Now to sort of take that to the next level, um, what we're rolling out right now as we speak is the ability to create this accessibility custom shortcut. So one press of the B key will get you to your accessibility settings on X1. Now, two presses of the B key will, will ask if you want to turn voice guidance off or on, our talking guide on X1. But we've also got the ability within that accessibility settings menu to customize what that double tap of the B key on the remote will do for you. So by default, it's gonna take you to voice guidance, but you can also change it to toggle video description or closed captions or SAP for, for Spanish. 
So just giving you more control over how you access and, and use those accessibility features, which, uh, which we think is really pretty cool. If anybody wants to uh, inquire more about this, where can they uh, reach you guys? Yeah, um, the, the best thing to remember is just head to uh, Xfinity.com slash accessibility. You can learn all about the products there. Um, you can link over to our help and support um, kind of hub where it has a lot of the different help and support articles that you can kind of troubleshoot on your own. But if you still need a hand, um, once you get to our help and support hub there, you can actually now schedule a callback from an accessibility specialist in our accessibility uh, support center for customers with disabilities. So um, if you head there, you can actually, you know, dictate when you'd like to receive a call back and you don't have to wait on the line or anything. They'll just give you a call uh, when you ask them to and you can talk right with an accessibility specialist. So uh, Xfinity.com slash accessibility is where it's at. So if you remember one thing, remember that. Um, but there's also other URLs you can get to like Xfinity.com slash accessibility support one word that's going to take you directly to that, that that support hub excellent well that's all great features uh that you can enjoy with the comcast uh, service and their apps and all that great stuff and thank you joel for being on again this year and uh we hope to definitely see you around the convention if you're going to be there and uh, uh i won't be out there larry but uh our vp tom Lukowski will be out there excellent uh, i think folks from ECU will be out there talking about the the video description on the olympics which has been great and um so just you know one last thing to take away just to remind you xfinity.com slash accessibility will get you to most of what you need and if you're using x1 remember to just say accessibility or press b and you'll have all the accessibility stuff right in front of you Excellent. Well, that uh, all great information. Centene Corporation is proud to be a vendor at the 57th Annual Conference of American Council of the Blind in St. Louis. Centene is in booth number 30. Centene is a national healthcare company and ranked number 61 on this year's Fortune 500 list. Our rapid growth is due to the commitment of transforming the health of the community one person at a time. Our work environment is inclusive, and we believe everyone performs better when they have tools required for success. We invest in our people and technology so you have resources, advocates, and experiences to facilitate your successful career journey at Centene. Again, please come to booth number 30, where Centene hiring staff are eagerly waiting to share opportunities with you. All right. Good morning, everybody. We're live once again. It is Monday, July 2nd, 2018. This is Larry Turnbull live at the American Council of the Blind Conference and Convention for 2018 in St. Louis, Missouri at the Union Station Hotel. Centene Corporation is proud to be a vendor at the 57th Annual Conference of American Council of the Blind. Okay, so we've got pre-entertainment with uh, Robert Vaughn this morning on the guitar. So I'll go ahead and bring that up for you. 8.30, Kim Charlson will get things going. 
We'll have the invocation from John Weedlick. And the scholarship winners will be doing the Pledge of Allegiance this morning. And then we'll get into ACB business. Uh, Margin Beeman will be announcing the sponsors. And we've got quite an agenda for you this morning. Good morning. We will begin in about two minutes. Two minutes.
<laughs> well, um, this is uh, me, Denise, with her mom. Arizona is going to be up here. That's scary. What's he doing up here? There's only one Arizona in the I don't really need to, but... Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning, ACB. Good morning, ACB. There we go. And good morning, ACB Radio. Hey. Monday, July 2nd. Good morning, good afternoon, or whatever. I'd like to recognize our entertainment for this morning. Robert Vaughn from St. Louis, Missouri. Thank you. And to, um, to begin our session today, Flowers I'd like to recognize to John Weedlick. He's a member of the Missouri Council of the Blind from St. Louis, Missouri, for our invocation. Good morning, MCB. Morning. Okay. I come to you this morning from Southwest Baptist Church, a church that really understands diversity and inclusion. And if you don't know the difference between those two, it's been said that diversity is being invited to the party, inclusion is being asked to dance. 
Nice. I like that. This was a prayer that somebody sent Thank to you. me maybe 30, 40 years ago called the Disability Prayer. I know it's not sentimental and uh, emotional, but it has some interesting thoughts, and so I'd like to share it with you, and I added a couple of things of my own, but it won't take long. It's the Disability Prayer. Let us pray for all God's people. Pray for those who cannot see, but also pray for those who can see, but seem blind to the needs of people around them. Pray for those who move slowly because of accident, illness, or disability, but also for those who move too fast to be aware of the world that they live in. Pray for those who cannot hear, and for those who can hear, but ignore the cries of others. Pray for people who learn slowly or learn in different ways, but also for people who learn quickly and easily, but too often choose ignorance. Pray for people who have chronic illnesses for which there's no known cure or relief, and for people who live in fear of developing a chronic illness, and for those working to develop those cures and treatments. For families and for friends and for caregivers who help the dis- people with disabilities, and, but also for people who feel awkward in our presence. For those who feel frustrated and held back by lack of accessibility. For people who unknowingly contribute to that lack of accessibility. And for lawmakers, advocates, agencies, organizations, and experts working to eliminate those barriers to accessibility. For people who feel isolated by their disabilities and for people who, by their thoughtless words and actions, contribute to this sense of isolation. Help us to remember all people in your creation, Lord, that we may learn to respect each other and learn how to live together in peace. Amen. Thank you. All right. To um, lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance this morning, I would ask the class of 2018 scholarship winners to stand and to loudly lead us in the pledge because they're behind me. Um, All right. Please please stand. I think the flag moved. I'm sorry. Denise? The flag? Okay, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, now it's time for your adrenaline boost. It's time for our sponsor presentation from Marjorie Beeman, Advertising and Sponsorship Coordinator for ACB. Uh, yeah. So Marjorie, we're ready. Okay, Madam President. <laughs> Thank you, Madam President. Good morning, everyone. Good. I'm always glad to see you're wide awake. I'm going to do the double diamond sponsors first. All right educational and recreational events. General Motors, Transportation Services, 
and Continuing Education Unit. Google, ACB Radio Worldwide Broadcast. Microsoft, ACB Conference Banquet. Vanda Pharmaceutical, Audio Visual Services, and Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk. Give them a hand. Diamond Sponsors, Verizon Oath, Conference Communication Center, and Marketplace. Give them a hand. Emerald Sponsors, Cisco Systems, Volunteer Services, Comcast, your day at the conference Tuesday, July the 3rd. J.P. Morgan Chase and Company Exhibit Hall, Sprint, Information Desk, Uber, Conference Registration. Give them a hand. Ruby Sponsors, Adobe, ACB Scholarship Mentoring Program, AT&T, ACB Cafe. Amazon, Audio Description Project Conference and Training Institute. Charter, Interpreter Services for the Deaf Blind Attendees. Facebook, ACB Auction and Performing Arts Showcase. HIMSS, ACB Workshops and Seminar Programming and Future ACB Leaders or Young Professionals. Humanware, official sponsor of all general sessions. Regal Cinema, Kids Explorer Club, and ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk. VFO, official conference program. Give them a hand. <laughs> Onyx sponsors, Buell Fund, ACB, Brenda Dillon, Memorial Walk, and Recreational Zone. Cox Communications, Audio Describe Movie, and Sponsor a Student, Future ACB Leader or Young Professional. Mackler Degeneration Foundation, ACB, Brenda Dillon, Memorial Walk. National Association of Broadcasters, General Operating Expense. National Industries for the Blind, ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk. Give them a hand. <laughs> Topaz sponsors, ACB Lions Scholarship Winner Travel. Yeah. Give them a hand. <laughs> Coral sponsors, Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America. Reception for Outstanding Blind Students. Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired San Francisco. General Session, July 2. That's today. All right. Pearl, oh, excuse me. Give them a hand. We're always in several pages. Pearl sponsor, Amtrak, ACB Cafe Day, July 2. That's today, too. Library Users of America, NLS Talking Book Narrator. Lighthouse for the Blind of Seattle, 
Orientation Dinner for Outstanding Blind Students. Maxi Aids, ACB Cafe Day, July 1. Give them a hand. Gold sponsors. Those are our $100 individual sponsors. Never too late to do that. George Abbott, Andy Arvison, Colette Arvison, Jolyn Bailey Page, Sean Barrett, Norma Bogg, Robert Bradley, Shirley Brokaw, Terry Camardelli, Ray Campbell, Karen Campbell, Brian Charleston, Kim Charleston, Penny Crane, Gail Crossan, Janet Dickelman, Dan Dillon, Steve Drescher, Daryl Eaton, Grady Ebert, Deanne Elliott, Howard Ferguson, Karen Gorgie, Debbie Grubb, Mary Haran, Terrence Harvart, Douglas Huntinsinger, Marcia Christick, Glenn McCulley, Ursula McCulley, William Mexic, Sandra Mollett, Carol Moran, Charles Nabaretti, Harlow Pease, Mitch Pomerantz, Angel Prince, Alice Richthard, Edwin Rumsey, Adam Rushaville, Carla Rushaville, Patrick Sheehan, Melvin Smith, Joel Schneider, Karen Spry, Sharon, um, I can't pronounce what she is. Sharon. Sharon. Anyway, Stokowski. Uh Miles Tamershire, uh, Donald Thompson, Kim Venerable. That's it. Give them a hand. Don't forget, it's never too late to donate. Turn it back to Madam President. Thank you. Check the name, I think. Of course. Yeah. Thank you. All right. To hear from um, one of our Double Diamond sponsors, it's my pleasure to introduce to you from Vanda Pharmaceuticals. Filling in for Wendy Osteen is Christine Valdez. Christine. Thank you, Kim. Um, On behalf of Vanda Pharmaceuticals, I would like to thank the board of directors, all the ACB members and attendees for giving us an opportunity to be here at your national convention. Um, We also want to thank you for the opportunity to sponsor and to give us time to provide education on non-24-hour sleep-wake disorder. As many of you know, non-24-hour is a serious chronic disorder that disrupts a person's circadian rhythms, which are controlled by his or her master body clock. People who have non-24 experience a constant daily shift in the times when their body expects to sleep and be awake, creating periods when they may be awake at night and want to sleep during the day. We will actually be at the booth all week at booth 66 to provide more information if you would like more information on non-24. And we, again, want to thank you for allowing us to be here this week. (laughs) All right. 
I said she's short and sweet. She got it all in there in record time. So thank you. Thank you, Vanda, for all your support. All right. Um, We're going to have a a switch in sponsor presentations. Um, We'll hear from Sprint tomorrow. And today we are going to hear from Comcast, one of our Emerald sponsors, and to um, bring us up to date on what Comcast is doing is uh, Vice President of Accessibility, Tom Litkowski from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Tom? Hello. Thank you. You were close. Yeah. <laughs> close enough this way. This All way. right. Oh, hi. Wrong arm. Oh. There you go. Got it. Thanks. There you go. Mike's right there. Thanks. You're taller. Move it up. <laughs> well, thanks, Kim. Uh, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Everybody, uh, anybody check out the Olympics this past winter here? Yeah. All right. So, um, I'm Tom Litkowski. I'm with Comcast, as Kim mentioned, and uh, wanted to give you a, a, a brief update on some of the things that, that we've been up to uh, over the past year. Um, one of the things that we've done is uh, look to um, update some of our product offerings. So if you're using the talking guide uh, and you're using video description on our service, making it easier to access. Um, so a couple of things that we've done. Uh, is created a collection page for all shows with video description, whether they're live, whether they're on demand, and now, because you can access Netflix through our service, whether they're on Netflix or not. So you have about 800-plus titles that you can access uh, right through one easy-to-access location. So if you have our X1 service and you uh, say shows with description... Uh, that'll bring you to a dedicated page where you can access uh, all of this content. And some of it will be uh, live, and it's all clearly labeled and compatible with voice guidance. Some of the other things uh, that we've done is made it easier for you to get to accessibility settings. Um, And that was a big piece of bringing all of these settings that are known to optimize the service for accessibility uh, under one menu. Uh, and actually just having one shortcut key to access it. So if you have the X1 remote, you can press the B key on the remote, and that'll bring you right into the accessibility settings where you can uh, adjust uh, the settings for closed captioning, uh, video description, and voice guidance. We've also added to voice guidance the ability to adjust the speech rate of the screen reader. Nobody wanted that feature, huh? Um, So that's out there now. Uh, And what you would do is, again, hit that B key. They'll take you to the accessibility settings, move over to voice guidance options. You open voice guidance options, and you will find the speech rate. You have regular, fast, and fastest. And um, that's... 
The first of several enhancements that we want to do in that area for um, adjustment to voice guidance. Eventually, we want to get into an expert mode versus beginner mode so that you can uh, minimize some of the uh, announcements that you hear. Um, but also, in restructuring how we, uh, how we announce screens, you can uh, we have hint text similar to what you would get on an iOS app, uh, and, and so trying to get better at how we uh, position that so you don't have to listen to that text. Speech is always interruptible. So that's, that's one area. Um, some of the things that uh, I mentioned, Netflix, that, that uh, is available to you now. So if you have a Netflix subscription uh, and you have X1, you can just say Netflix or you can go into it from the title on the description page and you can find all these things uh, that are there. The other piece that we've been working on is our mobile apps. And so if you haven't used our mobile apps in a while, uh, they've come a long way. Uh, and there's a few that I wanted to talk about today. Uh, one is our stream app. This is our TV application. We call this our second screen experience. And if you have the stream app for iOS or Android and you're in your house, the app performs just like it just like it, uh, a, a cable set-top box. And so whatever you can watch on your TV, you can watch on your app when you're connected to your Wi-Fi network within your home. When you're out of your home, uh, you can download DVR recordings, you can watch uh, a bunch of on-demand content and live TV uh, that we have the rights to show when you're out of home and on the go. So that's an app that you might want to download if you haven't already. We're getting some good feedback from the community on that. Uh, another one is called XFI, XFI. This is, if you have our high-speed data, our broadband service, you're able to uh, manage your router, manage your gateway, uh, and understand who, what devices are on your home network. And, and so that's another one that I would recommend. I want to remind people about our... Um, toll-free customer service number. Uh, so if you need support on anything related to accessibility or in general with respect to Comcast, you can call between the hours of 7 a.m. and 12 a.m. Eastern Time, and that's 855-270-0379. You can also visit comcastsupport.com slash accessibility and we have an accessible live chat interface there as well. You can also email accessibility at comcast.com to get more information. And coming up uh, real quick here, just wanted to highlight a couple of things back to video description uh, because we had uh, another interesting partnership earlier this year uh, where we actually commissioned a survey that uh, was looking at how accessible uh, video description is to consumers. And we found very interesting uh, uh, results. 626 adults were surveyed. Uh, 277 reported as having no functional vision. Uh, and what we found is that, um, probably no surprise to us, that, that we, those of us who are blind or visually impaired, are watching just about as much television as our sighted counterparts, four to five hours a day on average. Um, 81% are watching about an hour a day, 55% are watching four or more hours a day, and the one uh, piece of this survey that came out that we are really working on is 65% of those surveyed said that they're having difficulty finding content and 
accessing video description. So this was not just in our Comcast service, but this is outside and just throughout the country. And so that really tells us we have a lot more work to do with our content providers, studios, networks, and um, we're really uh, looking to uh, start work on that now to find ways of improving the awareness of video description, improving the awareness of talking guides. Uh, and so look for more information be forthcoming on that. We partnered with the American Foundation for the Blind and ACB who helped us. And I do want to publicly thank Kim and Eric and really Tony Stevens and, and the team at ACB who are just great partners with us. Uh, anything we, we ask of them, uh, they usually find a way to uh, accommodate and, and you know, vice versa. We, we just really value the partnership with ACB. So uh, I, would, I would want to just publicly acknowledge that as well. And uh, finally, uh, this year we had uh, the great privilege of partnering with NBC Universal to bring live description of the Winter Olympics and the Winter Paralympics. And um, Rick, I think we have a clip. Uh, are we set to roll that? In the shootout. Slowly weaving her way up the ice. She To the left, to the right, and slides it past a sprawled goaltender. Great move, great hands, great deception. Finding the hole right there. Pumps her fist in the air after she scores. Let's out a big yell. Goes to the bench where she was greeted by her teammate with pats on her back. She scored earlier. Must beat Rooney to keep Canada's hopes alive. She is The U.S. players storm off the bench and hug their goaltender. Gloves and sticks and helmets strewn all across the ice. The Canadian goaltender consoled by her teammates. Rooney, the goaltender, on the bottom of a massive pile of American players. Augusta drops her head in frustration, consoled by a teammate. Canadian bench in shock. The Americans celebrating on the ice. The goaltender Rooney had to be helped up off the ice after being smothered by her teammates. So in case you missed that at like one or two in the morning, whenever that happened, uh, and I thought we would play that historic uh, women's uh, gold medal uh, uh, win for the U.S. there. Um, and um, really uh, pleased to have a colleague from NBC, Rebecca Chapman, uh, here, uh, and you'll be hearing from her in just a little bit uh, on what they're doing. Uh, finally, wanted to also just let you know about some other ways you can access our service. If you have a Roku box, you can download the Xfinity app on the Roku box and look for Xfinity apps coming to smart TVs uh, uh, like Samsung uh, smart TVs, uh, and we'll be, we'll be supporting their built-in accessibility. So that's kind of the quick update, Kim, of what we're up to, and uh, really thank everybody for your support, and uh, keep the feedback coming as we look to improve our service uh, now and moving forward. Thanks so much. Have a great convention.
All right. Um, next, I'd like to recognize Ron Brooks, Chair of the Board of Publications, for a special awards presentation. Ron? Good morning. To a secure a guide dog. One second. We got it. All right. So one of the uh, really fun things that the Board of Publications gets to do is we get to give away awards, and um, this is a really exciting one because. Um, I don't know how many of you have gone to work, gone to school, and you get those awkward, did you see that questions? And of course, we're all good with it, but nobody else is. Now we can honestly say yes. And we, we want to um, acknowledge um, the award today for the Vernon Henley Media Award which is an award that is given uh, periodically by the Board of Publications to an individual or an organization, uh, doesn't have to be an ACB member, uh, for, their pos- uh, for the use of media uh, to promote positive portrayals of people who are blind or visually impaired and or their capabilities. And um, so very excited this year uh, to present the Vernon Henley Media Award um, to... Uh, Comcast, NBC Universal. Um, I'm just going to read the plaque, but before I'll do, I will tell you that sitting around our house with our teenagers watching TV um, and everything um, that happened this winter uh, with the Olympics and Paralympics was an amazing thing. So let me just read this. The American Council of the Blind, Vernon Henley Media Award, Presented to Comcast NBC Universal for it oh, for its live description of the ceremonies and competitive events of the 2018 Olympic and Paralympic Games, thereby allowing blind audiences to fully um, experience the beauty and pageantry that marks these events. July 2, 2018, St. Louis, Missouri. I couldn't be more pleased. Thank you very much. All right, I want to recognize Rebecca Chapman from NBC. Um, I had the chance to spend some time with her last night. And... I think her story and what she does for her job, I was totally amazed at the time that she spends planning Olympics. So, Rebecca, first of all, let me hand you the plaque. Congratulations Thank so you. much. Thank you. I think the photographer will do pictures when you're done. Okay, great. Um, First, I want to say thank you so much for this honor, um, which I'm going to accept on behalf of our team of leaders, Mark Lazarus, Gary Zenkel. Whoops, you're not quite on the mic. Gary, can you hear me now? (laughs) Gary Zenkel and Jim Bell. Um, You know, as as she said, we work on the Olympics 24-7, and we're always trying to come up with new ways to showcase the games, the host city, and the athletes and their, their stories. Uh, so before Rio, our president, Gary Zenkel, was in a meeting with Tom Ludkowski, who you just heard from, and he said, what more can we do around the Olympics to make it accessible for all? And Tom raised his hand and said, audio description. 
And that's where this amazing endeavor, you know, started, thanks to Tom and Gary. So we started with the Rio Games, and we had a team of people in Stanford, Connecticut at our headquarters, and they started with the pageantry of the opening ceremony, showcasing the dominance of Simone Biles and Katie Ledecky, and, you know, ending with, you know, Carrie, Carrie Walsh Jennings' emotional bronze medal win in beach volleyball. And we were just overwhelmed by the response and knew that we had to do it again for Pyeongchang. And this time, as, as you said, we added the Winter Olympics and the Paralympics. And, you know, this is part of Comcast and NBC Universal's commitment to making things accessible to all. But on a personal level, it was so rewarding because we got such amazing feedback from people telling us that they really got to experience the Olympics for the first time. It enhanced their enthusiasm. And one fan even wrote, Swimming and gymnastics are two of the sports that fascinate me the most. And thanks to audio description, I've been able to enjoy them even more during the last couple of days. I can better appreciate the tremendous amount of training and discipline athletes have to endure to reach their dreams of Olympic glory. So for for a team that eats, sleeps, and breathes the Olympics, that's an amazing thing to hear. Um, Before I go, I also want to say that we couldn't do any of this without our wonderful partners at uh, Descriptive Video Works from Canada. They're the ones that have really led us in this endeavor and made sure that we had the best audio descriptive group. And and I have to say, my favorite Olympic moment happens at the end of every Games. After the closing ceremony, we run a video um, which showcases the highs and the lows and all the drama that can only happen at an Olympic Games. And our whole team that works on the Olympics every day, every year, uh, gathers uh, to celebrate what we've done, what we've been able to show, and like these amazing athletes and their performances. And you know, the last couple games, it's just been a little sweeter knowing that now the Olympics are accessible to everybody. So we really appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you again. Thank you. Oh, Sharon's got it. Okay. Thank you. That was special. That was that was great. <laughs> All right. Our next Emerald sponsor presentation, um, I think they're here, is a new partner for ACB and somebody you, that you heard about some of our work with um, Saturday evening. It's my pleasure to welcome Cisco Systems, and I think we're going to hear from Sanji Garge, who is the accessibility technical lead for hardware for Cisco Systems from San Diego, California. Sanjeev? Good morning. My name is 
my name is sanjeev garg and i'm accessibility technical leader at cisco our accessibility team at cisco is dedicated to bring accessibility awareness within the company a little closer i think just, just... hello yeah is it okay <laughs> so our accessibility team is dedicated to bring accessibility awareness within the company Okay, let me start again. <laughs> so our accessibility team is dedicated to bring accessibility awareness within the company and train our engineering teams so Cisco can design accessible products. Uh, our team is also responsible to perform product accessibility testing and prepare the VPATs. We also provide direct customer support about any questions related to the accessibility of Cisco products. So today I'm here to talk about our first enterprise grade desk phone with uh, built-in text-to-speech functionality. So this phone was developed with the collaborative input from ACB and thank you ACB for helping us. To <laughs> to give you a brief background, in early 2000s, our team explored the idea to have voice feedback on our phones, but unfortunately the phones at that time did not have enough CPU power and bandwidth. Uh, so Cisco partnered with third-party company and developed a software-based application which was considered a groundbreaking accessible solution uh, for business phones at that time. The application name is Access a Phone. In fact, many customers are still using this application. Then Cisco uh, started working with ACB in spring of 2017. Uh, the goal was to identify how we can make are uh, IP phones natively accessible. Uh, the, users should be, the user should be able to go to any phone and turn on the accessibility features since in the modern open office environment, people don't always sit at the same spot every day. So then Cisco phone engineering team and ACB team met in July 2017 at the Low Center, uh, Low Vision Center in Dallas. So this center has a model apartment and an office setup to demonstrate a typical work and uh, home environment uh, for a for a visually impaired person. So ACV was able to demonstrate some of the challenges faced faced by uh, a visually impaired person in their day-to-day -day work and home. Life. So the big takeaway for our engineering team from this meeting was uh, to enable the voice feedback on our phones. <clears throat> the phone needed to be announced whatever is being displayed on the phone screen. And at that time, we determined that our 8800 series of phones is the first generation of IP phones with enough CPU power to support onboard speech.
So as, as part of that meeting, Cisco and ACV teams also discussed the most uh, common use cases and most painful use cases for the visually impaired person. So trying to address each uh, feature supported by Cisco phones will take a long time. So the goal was to address the cross-section of uh, most user, uh, most common use cases and most painful use cases first. Uh, so Cisco developed a proof of concept and we demoed this proof of concept to ACB in October of uh, 2017. So this proof of concept was focused to have a text-to-speech engine so users can go to any phone and they can enable the accessibility uh, features. The user can also change the speed of the voice engine. The other features include uh, voice readout of caller ID, voice readout of uh, menu navigation, yes. voice readout of dedicated and soft keys on the phone. So then, then we took ACV's feedback and incorporated into the uh, POC. And after further development, the software was ready for engineering field trials. So in January of 2018, we started working with the Perkins School of Blind and National Industries for Blind uh, to test this software. And both of these customers provided us interactive feedback, which helped us to continue to improve the product. So uh, then in uh, uh, March of 2018, Cisco officially released software version 12.1 with built-in text-to-speech functionality. And this software is available at cisco.com free of cost to all Cisco customers. And it is really simple to install. So as of today, voice feedback is available on our 8800 series of IP phones. And uh, we are demonstrating this uh, software at, and hardware at booth number 43. Uh, please feel free to stop by for a live demo. Another major development which is being publicly announced first time today at ACV conference is to offer PC and Mac based software application called Cisco Proximity which will make all Cisco telepresence video endpoints accessible for visually and mobility impaired users. Cisco proximity allows you to control the Cisco conferencing video endpoint from your laptop over the wireless connection. Uh, and the accessible version of uh, Cisco proximity will be available in few weeks and will be at free of cost to all customers. So the on, ongoing challenge for Cisco and our accessibility team is that Cisco is well known to acquire companies. And as of today, we have acquired more than 200 companies. And not even one of those companies had an accessible product or a dedicated accessibility team to support their products. 
and you will be surprised to know most of the design engineer have a very little or no clue about accessibility. So I personally believe there is a lot need to be done in the field of accessibility and the universities should also offer uh, accessible design courses such as a required class for a computer science degree. And And with that note, I conclude my presentation and thank you for listening. Thank you to Cisco. It's quite an accomplishment, and ACB is proud to have been a part of it. So thank you. All right. All right. Next, I will recognize Mitch Pomerantz, to the chair of the ACB nominating committee, to give the report. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Well. We'll get through this as expeditiously as possible. We met last evening. There were a total of 58 state and special interest affiliates represented. We had two affiliates. Uh, in one case, we believe the gentleman uh, may have <laughs> just missed it. And in another case, uh, a gentleman... It was a little bit late. And it, and it isn't just me running a railroad. It, it really has been a tradition in ACB that uh, the doors close when we say they're going to close. So a word to the wise next year um, to make sure that your delegate is reminded to be there. We had five director and three board of publications seats up for election. And we have nominees for all eight. For the board of directors, uh, we have, and I'm going to give you the, the incumbents first, the incumbent who was able and could serve a second term, was Katie Frederick from Columbus, Ohio. And Katie was nominated. So she will be up for re-election Thursday. She is a, and in some cases, folks, I don't have specific job titles, uh, but we're close. Katie is a digital technical specialist at Ohio State University. Our second position with an incumbent who is able to run again is Patrick Sheehan from Silver Spring, Maryland, and uh, he is director of 508 programs for the Department of Veterans Affairs, and his name was placed in nomination. The third incumbent was Jeff Tom from Sacramento, California. Uh, he concluded a partial term and is now has been nominated for a full term 
He is a retired attorney for the state of California with our legislative analyst's office. The fourth position was held by George Holliday. George concluded his second term. The nominee for that position is James Crott, Miami, Florida, a retired attorney. The fifth board of director position was held by Alan Peterson. Alan uh, also termed out, so that position was open. The nominee for that position is Michael Talley from Birmingham, Alabama, and Mike, Michael is a Randolph Shepard vendor. So those are the five nominees for board of directors. The three board of publications nominees, the first and the first two actually are incumbents who could serve a second term. First one was Paul Edwards, Miami, Florida, retired access specialist uh, coordinator with Miami-Dade Community College. The second, also an incumbent, was Deb Lewis from soon-to-be Clarkston, Washington. Uh, she is a retired access specialist with the state of Washington. The third, the third position was held by Donna Brown, Donna indicated that she was not seeking re-election. So the nominee has come out of the committee is Penny Reeder from Montgomery Village, Maryland. She is a contractor uh, in access technology for the Department of Veterans Affairs. And Madam President, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes the report of the nominating committee for 2018. Thank you, Mitch, and thank you to the committee, and we will talk to you again on Thursday morning. Thank you. I'm sure we'll hear from you before then, but <laughs> officially. All right. Um, we have concluded our business for this morning. Not the whole morning, just that first segment. Don't get up. Don't leave. <laughs> um, oh, we do have one more thing. Um, and yes, we're going to have we're going to have our angel presentation for today, and that is for Hattie Bond, nineteen thirty-seven to two thousand twelve. She was from Tennessee, and is Penny here? Penny, Verdi, we need you up on the stage. <laughs> Somebody will give you some assistance to get up here. Thank you. Dana. 
Okay, am I on the mic? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Hattie Bond was born March 6, 1937, in Brownsville, Tennessee. She was the <clears throat> oldest of five children. She died on June 23rd, 2012, at the age of 75. She was married to her husband, Albert, for 50 years. They had a daughter, Delois, to whom Hattie was very devoted. They were very close. Uh, her daughter helped her a lot with a lot of her volunteer work. And she even joined the uh, Middle Tennessee chapter uh, of, <clears throat> of the Tennessee Council of the Blind and, of course, ACB. Uh, and helped out there. Hattie was a librarian for many, many years until she started losing her vision. And once she adapted to that, she started a support group, which was called Second Sight. And I believe that she ran for over 20 years helping other blind, newly blinded people and just did a terrific job. Uh, she also did a lot of other volunteer work for her church, for her sorority with the Tennessee State University, and I believe there were many other volunteer um, things she did. She was a very quiet person and did things in the background that you really didn't know about. <clears throat> she also was involved in the multiculture group here on a national level when she would come to the ACB convention. Um, in 1992, she became first vice president under me as first as president and was like my right arm for four years. And I don't know what I would have done without her because she helped me out quite a bit. Then after I ran my six years, she became president of Tennessee Council in 1997 till 2003. And under her leadership, she started the vehicular donation program, and we started getting a lot of funds from that. Hattie was a very, very generous a uh, person, a very kind person. We used to, in the beginning, hold our board meetings in Nashville. They owned their building. And so Hattie would cook and provide our luncheons for us in, uh, where we would meet and have our board meetings. Then we moved to her home. She opened up her home, and we had our board meetings at her home. And, of course, we had delicious meals there. She was a terrific cook. Um, we missed that when we started going to telephone conferences. It just wasn't the same. Um, Hattie was a very, she would, did not like controversy, and so she was a peacemaker. She wanted to help solve problems. She did not like for people to be unhappy with each, with each other. She was just a very kind, gentle she was a real lady. She really was. She was a real lady. And I grew to love her very much once I got to know her 
And of course, anybody who knew her really loved her. But she also was, she was funny. And she was a lot of fun. When we'd come to conventions, we'd room together. And, and she was just a lot of fun. So she's been really missed in Tennessee. And so to, today, we would just like to honor her with putting her name up on this angel tree. And it's a shame we we have to do this for our people. But I really appreciate whoever thought of this. I really appreciate that we can do this and honor people like Hattie and many others who have gone up there. So thank you all very, very much. Thank you, Penny. Also, Brian, I saw you. Thank you. All right. I bet the ACB board is glad that I don't open my home and cook for them. <laughs> They'd be sorry. <laughs> uh, Hattie was a great lady, and, uh, and we miss her. So thank you. The... Uh, Presiding officer for the day, I'm pleased to introduce to you, um, and he'll be running the podium for most of the rest of the day, is our second vice president from Tucson, Arizona, Mr. John McCann. There you go. Thank you. Thank you very much for that warm welcome. No. All right. Alexa. Tell everybody how awesome John McCann is. <laughs> well, okay, maybe not, maybe not. <laughs> Several things briefly, okay. Just on a brief note of personal privilege, I really want to extend uh, my deepest appreciation to uh, so many of you. As uh, many of you may know, I underwent some rather serious back surgery on uh, March 2nd. Um, and... Uh, you know, that's uh, whenever you're messing around in that area, it's always tricky and it's a bit of a high wire act. But blessedly, we came through it. I seem to be doing okay at this convention. And thank you to so many of you who reached out to me and expressed your best wishes for my recovery. Um, one other thing briefly how many of you can say that you've been at an ACB convention for 50 consecutive years? For 50 years, okay? There's one individual that I've been apprised of who's able to make that claim. I hope he's out there right now. The guy is an ACB stalwart, made it to 50 straight conventions. He served on the board of directors, was our rep uh, national representative, and then became our executive director when that was changed. The guy from Kentucky had a distinguished career in federal government with the Small Business Administration. Um, he's a, a rock star when it comes to advocating for physical fitness for blind folks, a bowler. Uh, all-around great guy, Mr. Oral Miller. <laughs> Give him a warm hand. <laughs> I just got that information. I don't think we're trying to Okay, I'll let it go. Yeah. Yeah, I'm moving on. Okay, at this point, it is my privilege to introduce to you Mr. Michael Garrett, former board member. He is a rock star when it comes to telling you all about our scholarship winners this year. 
Oh, it's Denise Colley. Um, I'm reading last year's program. Uh, that is super embarrassing. I'm sorry about that. Okay, it's Denise Colley. Well, she, she's a rock star too, okay? You know? Alexa, tell John McCann who the chair of the, <laughs> the scholarship committee is. Okay, Denise? Denise. Good morning, ACB. I have no idea what John just said. Well, I know that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it's going to be very challenging because... Yeah, thank you. It's going to be really challenging up here because back where we are, we can't understand a thing that's being said. So let's hope people get up here when they need to. All right. It gives me great pleasure this morning to introduce to you a group of students. I'm not going to say young people necessarily because, you know, that is... <laughs> um, anyway, to introduce to you this morning our 2018 ACB scholarship recipients. This is an absolutely marvelous group of students. I have totally enjoyed the opportunity to get to know them and work with them. And you will see what I mean as I share a little bit about them. I want to start out, though, by introducing my committee because they've been a marvelous group of people, and you need to know who these hardworking individuals are. Our vocational technical subcommittee, chaired by Rebecca Bridges from Arlington, Virginia, and on the committee with her are Susan Glass from Saratoga, California, and Linda Perrell from San Francisco, California. Well, that must have been fun. You only had two time, time changes you had to deal with instead of three. Entering freshman uh, subcommittee, ably chaired by Mr. Don Coors from Indianapolis, Indiana. With him, uh, um, serving with him, are Valerie Standard from Kansas City, Missouri, and Vicki Prahin from Columbus, Ohio. Our undergraduate subcommittee, ably chaired by Sharon Strokowski from Worcester, Wor Worcester? Worcester? Oh. See, it's not even spelled right. Sorry, Sharon. That's right, Massachusetts. Yeah, Massachusetts. Um, and serving with her are Shelly Hart from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Sarah Conrad from Grand Rapids, Michigan. And our graduate subcommittee, chaired by Kathy Schmidt Whitaker from Diamond Bar, California. Serving with her are Mark, Mike Gravett from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Gilly Presley from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I'm going to say thank you to all of them because without them, I couldn't do what I do. This morning, we're going to actually be doing our scholarship presentations in two parts. 
But before we do that, I want to introduce to you um, a gentleman who we all know because uh, he's been around in ACB for a while. Um, you heard um, at the, during the opening session that our students are receiving a very special uh, gift along with their scholarships and to just sort of very quickly remind you of what that is and what they're doing, I'd like to introduce Paul Schrader, who is with Ira. Hey, thank you so much, Denise. Appreciate that. You know, 35 years ago, I applied for a scholarship from ACB. It took a damn long time to get up here, um, but <laughs> finally made it. Um, I am actually so glad that we're able to, to give... I didn't get that scholarship, by the way. Um, I am so glad to be able to... Uh, but, but it got me started with ACB and getting to know Oral Miller and the gang, so that was pretty good. Um, so glad to be able to give back from Ira. Um, you heard Suman talk Saturday night, and we have met so many of the students here this week uh, who have been so appreciative. So as you know, Ira has agreed to and is delighted to provide the ACB scholarship winners with our back-to-school package, which gives them nine months of IRA, 400 minutes a month for free, basically a $2,000, nearly $2,000 value for each student. I know uh, all of us who have been through college and the university experience appreciate what having access to sighted assistance given by a professional anytime, anywhere you need it would have meant to us on campus. And I know we're all delighted to be able to find out what these students are going to be able to do with IRA academically, socially, and as well in orientation to their campuses, whether they be online or physical campuses. We're very excited. We'll look forward to hearing the stories from the students, hopefully all legal, of things that they're doing with Ira, and learning how Ira is going to help them become even more successful than they already have been, as proven this morning by receiving the scholarships. So thank you very much for letting us be here with you, and we look forward to providing Ira to these students. Go ACB. Thank you, Paul. I want you to know the rest of the com scholarship committee is so jealous we can't stand it. And uh, we all want to figure out how we can all become students again so we can, we can get Ira too. All right. Um, I just want to let you all know that this year um, ACB is awarding 17 scholarships to 17 deserving students. And then the Council of Citizens with Low Vision are also awarding some scholarships, which you will hear about in a minute. But ACB is this year awarding scholarships in the amount of $66,500. At this time, um, the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, um, oh, I never have been sure what that I really was, <laughs> okay, um, 
has three scholarships that they award each year, um, the Fred Scheigert Scholarships, and to award those, present those scholarship winners, uh, scholarships to those winners, I present to you Mr. Alan Casey, co-chair of the CCLVI Scholarship Committee. Denise and I are not, Denise and I are not quite the same height. So, good morning, everyone. And I'm pleased to be here today on behalf of the Council of Citizens of Low Vision International to recognize three outstanding students who are receiving the Fred Scheigert Scholarship. And uh, Fred Scheigert, let me just uh, get make sure I say this up front and don't forget it later. Uh, Fred Scheigert is uh, an ACB member of long standing. He is from Saratoga Springs, New York, and he has funded the uh, scholarship program for more years than uh, he can remember. And I haven't found anyone, anyone yet who knows the exact number, but he's done a, a magnificent job in his commitment uh, to uh, these students and to their, uh, their future. So we thank Fred for all that he has done. So, CCLVI awards three scholarships annually, uh, one to an incoming freshman, one to an undergraduate, and one to a graduate student. And this year we have a trio of students who I think are, are really outstanding. We have an aspiring nuclear engineer, an aspiring actress, and an aspiring marine biologist. So it, it's a, I was going to use a 50 cent word, um, they're, they are an eclectic group. So, The first recipient is a freshman who just graduated from high school a few weeks ago. And a few weeks from now, she'll be entering the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. She, um, let me get my glasses on so I can read. Her major will be nuclear engineering. Uh, she is, I am told, an accomplished saxophonist. Well, that's what she said, so I, I, take, <laughs> I, take, I take her at her word. Uh, she's been very active in volunteer activities in her community, uh, including working with the American Council of the Blind, oh, American Council of the Blind, the American Cancer Society, uh, sorry. And uh, with, uh, with also working in a summer camp with, with blind students. She's a cancer survivor. And that may be, I, I'm, I'm just going to give you my opinion. That may be, may be one of the reasons why she's interested in developing a career in nuclear medical research. So from Rosman, North Carolina, and soon uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, Will you please welcome Madison Allen. Good morning, everyone. I'm Madison Allen, and it is such an honor to be here today to be presented this scholarship. 
I want to personally thank Mr. Fred Shigert as well as the scholarship committee for choosing me for this special award. A little about myself, I'm from the mountains of western North Carolina and enjoy playing jazz music on my saxophone and spending time with my family. Um, in addition, I am a cancer survivor or of a rare form of childhood eye cancer called retinoblastoma, which has left me visually impaired. However, I do not let my disability get, get in the way of achieving my future goals and aspirations. Um, <laughs> as, as far as my career goals are concerned, I will be attending the University of Tennessee, Knoxville to major in nuclear engineering and minor in music on my saxophone, and the Fred Shigert Scholarship will help me to succeed in pursuing my career goals in order to catapult and direct my ambitions to change into an attainable, successful reality. In closing, I want to say thank you so much for all your support and encouragement. The next Shigert uh, recipient is a rising junior at Columbia College in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, she major, she's majoring in acting. Uh, she's also a repeat Shigert scholarship winner. She was the freshman scholarship recipient uh, two years ago. Uh, among her role models um, are Lucille Ball and Katherine Hepburn. That pretty much covers the spectrum, I think, in, uh, in acting. She has a specific interest in sitcoms. Um, she has, uh, she's volunteered um, for a number, in a number of activities, including the Louisville uh, Vision Walk. And she has a twofold dream, which I think is very interesting. Her dream is to create a sitcom or film which will entertain, and second, to inspire others to reach for the stars. And I think one day we may find that she'll be among those stars. So would you please welcome, from Elizabeth, Indiana, and Chicago, Illinois, yeah. Samantha Mayberry. everyone. How are you this morning? All right. Uh, so my name is Samantha Mayberry. I am a very proud winner of the CCLVI Fred Scheigert Scholarship, and I would like to give a huge thank you to Mr. Fred Scheigert and the CCLVI Scholarship Committee for presenting me with this award. I don't know how I would be able to attend Columbia College Chicago without it. It has definitely been an amazing help for me, and I am always going to be so, so appreciative. Um, so when I was around three years old, I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, and my life has been impacted by that ever since. But I have never, ever let that stop me from reaching for my goals and my dreams. And I have wanted to be an actress since I was a very young child. And as you can see, I have not given that up. And I will never give that up until I am up there with all the stars like Katherine Hepburn and Lucille Ball. <laughs> um, 
So I hope to achieve my goals so that I can support not only ACB and CCLVI as hopefully a huge star with a lot of influence, but also everyone with blindness and disabilities so I can be a spokesperson and an advocate. So I thank you very much for presenting me with this opportunity. Thank you. The third Shagat recipient uh, is a graduate student. Uh, she's a doctoral student at um, Texas A&M University. Uh, geography is a great subject in the ACV. Uh, her major is um, <clears throat> excuse me, major is marine biology. She holds degrees from the University of Rhode Island and from Walla Walla University. That's in Washington State, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. They forgot to react, or else they're, they're still sleepy. I don't know. Um, her special interest is the octopus. Now, that may not mean much to you, but one of the questions that I've had in life is this. What is the plural of octopus? And she told me, if you're Greek, and you might want to write this down, if you're Greek, it's octopuses, and if you're Roman, it's octopi. So... That great question in my life has been settled, and I, I'm grateful for that. She has, um, she really has, has done a great deal um, just to be as, as young as she is, but she is, is capable, of course, of, of doing all this. She has published articles in uh, professional journals, and she's also presented papers to at professional conferences. And I think that's, that's a significant, significant uh, achievement for, uh, for someone uh, in, in, in her first year of uh, graduate school. She's also been a teaching assistant at uh, Texas A&M in, uh, in uh, their labs. So would you please welcome, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and College Station, Texas, Maureen Hayden. Good morning. Or as we say at Texas A&M University, howdy. <laughs> I would like to personally thank Fred Scheiger and the Council for Citizens with Low Vision for awarding me the Graduate Fellowship and for providing students who are blind or with low vision the opportunity to go one step closer to their future career goals. I would also like to thank my parents and all of the mentors who have supported me in my dreams. Uh, a little bit about myself. When I'm not in the classroom or in the research lab, I enjoy playing trombone in classical jazz in orchestral settings. And my favorite activity to do is scuba diving. <laughs> um, so I'm a first-year graduate student at Texas A&M, 
and my dissertation research is focused on the effects of human activities such as driving vehicles on the beach on the organisms that live on the beaches of the state of Texas. And I hope to use my research uh, in order to preserve our world's oceans for everyone to enjoy. Uh, I too want to uh, recognize and to thank the um, Shigert Scholarship Committee. Uh, first and foremost, uh, my fellow co-chair, Jim Yerock from Nebraska. Uh, Kathy Farina from New York. Red Gutierrez from Colorado. Angelo Lanier from Arkansas. Brian Petrates from Indiana. Richard Ruda from California. And Lindsay Tilden from California. And of course, Fred Scheigert again, the benefactor of the uh, Scheigert Scholarships. I also want to, to acknowledge the uh, assistance that we received um, earlier this year from Bianca Knight. Uh, Bianca began the year as the co-chair of the committee, and she had to step down for, um, for family and uh, professional reasons, mainly because she became a mother for the first time. And she also was appointed an assistant attorney general for the state of Tennessee. And she is a former Shigert uh, Scholarship winner. So we thank the committee for all of their work, and we congratulate again uh, Madison, Samantha, and Maureen. That's good. Thank you, Alan. And congratulations, ladies. That's awesome. So we will begin with the presentations. We are going to, we have two scholarships that are actually um, given by ACB state affiliates. And we are going to actually start with one of those this morning. And it is the Bay State Council of the Blind Scholarship. Um, to be eligible for that scholarship, you must be a resident of, resident of Massachusetts. This year's recipient of the Bay State Council Scholarship is Dexter Rowell. Dexter is from Hyde Park, Massachusetts, and, and actually is a member of the Bay State Council, so that's very cool. He is a graduate student majoring in law, he is attending Northeastern University of Law in Boston. Dexter. Good morning, everybody. Uh, first and foremost, I'd like to um, give praise and thanks uh, to the most high power above us. Um, 
without whom nothing is possible. Um, I'd like to thank uh, ACB um, and the Bay State Council for the uh, Blind for their generosity. Um, I'm honored to be here. I've had a really great time. Um, I'd also like to thank my family because of, um, you know, without their sacrifices and encouragement, um, I wouldn't be here um, at all. Um, I'd like to close by saying that I'm honored to walk in the footsteps of um, Thurgood Marshall and Charles Hamilton Houston, who not only were um, once in a generation legal minds, but um, showed me and inspired me how it felt to be young, gifted, and black. Thank you. Thank you, Dexter. The Arnold Sadler Scholarship is given to an individual who is studying in the field of disability rehabilitation, education, law, or etc. They can be an undergraduate or a graduate. Unfortunately, um, our um, recipient of this scholarship couldn't be with us today, uh, this morning. Um, but the recipient of the Arnold Sadler Scholarship is Sarah Wiles. Sarah is a returning scholarship winner. She is from Long Meadow, Cal uh, Massachusetts, majoring in law. She is a graduate student and attending Western New England University School of Law in Springfield, Massachusetts. And she is also the first vice president of ACB students. And she, <laughs> and she did express her, um, her, uh, you know, uh, regret. Thank you. I'm having problems with words today. A regret at not being able to be with us this morning. Our, <laughs> thank you. Our Kelly Cannon Scholarship is given to an individual studying in the field of computer science, data processing, programming, web development, or all of the above. Um, the recipient this morning of that, this scholarship is Carlos Medrano. Carlos is from Gallatin, Tennessee. He is an entering freshman. Um, going to Tennessee Technological University in Cookville, Tennessee, majoring in computer science. And he told us on his application he is a first-generation college student. So that's very cool. Carlos. Good morning. So my name is Carlos Medrano, and it's a great honor to be here today. Um, a bit about myself. Both my parents are, excuse me, I come from a family of immigrants. So 
Thank you. So I come from a family of, of immigrants. Both my parents, including my grandparents and great-grandparents and, and so on, come from El Salvador. Yeah. And, and in the late 20th century, they were able to move to the United States. They were awarded an opportunity to come here to the United States. And I was born in New York City. We moved to Tennessee in around, uh, when I was around six years old, and that's when I discovered my passion for computers. Since after using computers for a while, I learned that there was a lot of accessibility issues. And those of you who use screen readers probably can relate to this. You know, the buttons on some web pages are unlabeled. So you hear unlabeled zero button or unlabeled 20 button or something like that. So, and then I started learning how to, a little bit of programming, and I figured out that you can control a computer using code. So after that, I became, oh, excuse me, okay, all right, um, this is dynamic microphones, but okay, thank you. Um, so I, where was I? So with computers, I learned how to control them with code, and um, I became extremely fascinated with it. And I've always wanted to contribute to society and help others and I feel that by going, to, by going to school to study computer science, since I, my passion is computers, I can really use computers and programming to help others, which may include or includes people with disabilities. So thank you, ACB and the Scholarship Committee of the American Council of the Blind for giving me this opportunity by awarding me this money to be able to study this fall at Tennessee Tech University, and um, thank you so much. The Eunice Fiorito Scholarship is given to an individual who has little or no vision studying in the field of advocacy or disability services, can be an undergraduate or a graduate. And I have had an absolutely amazing time getting to know this gentleman. He is so much fun. Um, our our uh, recipient of this scholarship is James Bame, or Jimmy, as he prefers to be called. Jimmy is from Nashville, Tennessee. He's a graduate student attending Peabody College of Vanderbilt University and majoring in clinical mental health counseling. Jimmy. Hello. All right, I am closer. Can you hear me? <laughs> 
want to thank uh, the council so much. I would like to do a shout out to the Tennessee Council. There you are. They've been so supportive uh, to me throughout the years I've been in undergrad and grad school, so I appreciate you guys so much. I'd like to thank the American Council for the opportunity to have the scholarship and to su uh, support me as I complete my graduate school program this year. Also, would like to thank Ira for um, also providing us um, additional um, support uh, with our scholarship. So, thank you so much, Ira. Uh, would like to thank my lovely wife, who we just celebrated our third year anniversary. Love you, honey. I'll get brownie points for that, right? <laughs> also like to thank my, my family, my parents. They were very supportive to me uh, when I lost my sight in 2010 and going through that transition. So I uh, couldn't have done it without them. also appreciate my guide dog, Bogey, my partner in crime, who's been there through me, uh, been there with me through ups and downs. So I appreciate him so much. You know, I think the only disabilities are low expectations and negative attitudes. What do you guys think? And I heard someone recently say something, and it just it sticks with me. And, you know, a lot of times when we hear the words fail, when someone fails, we get a negative feeling or connotation to that, or if someone says no. Well, they gave me a new perspective to those two words. They said, fail actually means first attempt in learning. I like that, right? Instead of no being a negative thing, no means next opportunity. So next time someone tells you fail or no, just, just remember, it's just the beginning. Thank you. William Corey Scholarship is um, another scholarship presented by a state affiliate, and this um, scholarship is given to a Pennsylvania resident. This year's recipient of um, the Corey Scholarship is Kyle Rufo. Kyle is from Media, Pennsylvania. He's an entering freshman who will be attending Washington College in Chestertown, uh, Chestertown Maryland, and he is Major is undecided at this point, but he told me he's probably leaning towards a degree in biology. Kyle. Good morning. Is this good enough? Good morning, everyone. How are you doing on this fine Monday morning? <laughs> I first would like to say how honored and blessed I am to be here, and I would like to thank 
the American Council for the Blind, the Scholarship Committee, my state affiliate, and all of the wonderful people that I've met here over the past few days. This conference has not only been an opportunity to learn more about myself and what I can do, because being labeled disabled really can mess with you, but <laughs> being an 18-year-old and having to travel alone for the first time and finding that I can do that and successfully make two flights and get from all the way from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania uh, to St. Louis, Missouri, uh, it really is an empowering experience. So I would like to thank everybody from the bottom of my heart for everything that this has given me. The convention has been such an eye-opening experience, getting to meet all of you, getting to see the exhibits, and just be open to new experiences. So thank you all so much. The Norma Schechter Dr. Dwayne Buckley Scholarship, this was actually two scholarships that we have combined into one, is given to a student who is an undergraduate who has overcome major difficulties and should have little to no vision. And although the primary criteria calls for the recipient to be an undergraduate, if there is no worthy candidate, then the award can go to a graduate student with the, meeting the same um, qualifications. This year's recipient of this scholarship is Emmeline LaCrout. She is from San Antonio, Texas. She is majoring in marketing and she is attending the University of Texas at Austin. Emmeline says she became interested in marketing after spending two years involved in DECA in high school. Boy, that takes me back. And if you see Emmeline running around, ask her about New Paris. New Paris is a project which absolutely fascinated me. So just saying, ask her, what is New Paris? Emmeline. First things first, hi mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank the Scholarship Committee, Sharon Krakowski, um, and the American Council of the Blind, not only for the scholarship, but also for the opportunity to come here and learn so many new things. Um, I am a marketing student. I like statistics and analysis. I run a small YouTube channel trying to share resources for the visually impaired, and I'm very involved with advocacy for disability on my campus. I like to say that because of my visual impairment, I have to work twice as hard as everyone else to do the same thing. But on the other hand, that makes me a twice as hard worker. Um, and it makes me a better person. And I'm really glad that I got to be here and meet so many people who share that um, interest. Thank you.
I lied. We have three state scholarships. The ACB of Oregon scholarship is given to an Oregon resident. This year's recipient is Leanne Victorio. Leanne is from Happy Valley, Oregon. She's an entering freshman, and she'll be attending Portland State University. Her major is art with a minor in advertising, and Leanne is uh, involved in the summer work experience program for, with the Oregon Commission for the Blind, but they were gracious and let her come here to get her scholarship. <laughs> Leanne immigrated here from the Philippines last year, she said, to start a whole new life away from friends and family but she hopes to go back to the Philippines and start her own business. Leanne. Okay, thank you. Um, so it seems like fate doesn't want me here because I got lost in the airport. <laughs> um, got locked in the bathroom and sprained my foot. <laughs> But yeah, I'm here and I'm having fun so far, even though I'm leaving later. <laughs> so when I first came here, I got four contacts in my phone. When, I, when I'm leaving here, I got 40. So, so opportunities came fast in just three days or so. But yeah, it was a pleasure to meet you all, and thank you so much for um, amplifying my word. That's all, thank you. Isn't she delightful? <laughs> the, James, the James R. Olson Memorial Scholarship is given to a student who must be an undergraduate studying in the field of business or computer science or information technology and involved in community service. Our James R. Olson Scholarship recipient this year was not able to be here because she's in Africa... She had a, a, a death in the family, and I don't know if that person was in Africa or what, but she was in Africa, so she can't be with us. Uh, but the recipient is Sasha Samua. Sasha is also a returning scholarship winner. 
Saucer's from Milford, Connecticut. She also is a first-generation student. She is majoring in business administration and attending George Washington University in Washington, D.C. She um, has had work experience in the areas of fashion and marketing, which she says is what sparked her interest in business administration. And she also sent her regrets for not being here. This next recipient is also not here this year. The John Hebner Scholarship is given to a student who must be working full-time and must be enrolled in substantial courses. This year's recipient is also a returning scholarship winner. In fact, this is the third scholarship for him, and it's the third time we've given him this scholarship. <laughs> so, you know, we need some other applicants, guys. Um, no, not really. Um, the recipient is Leonard Moore. Leonard is from Charlotte, North Carolina. He is a part-time graduate student majoring in adult education, and he is attending North Carolina State University in Raleigh, and he is currently employed as a vocational rehabilitation counselor with the North Carolina Division of Vocational Rehabilitation in Charlotte. <clears throat> The Floyd Qualls Memorial Scholarship is a general merit scholarship awarded to a student who is enrolled full-time in an accredited post-secondary institution. And the Floyd Qualls Scholarships, we actually um, award five of those. Um, there is one awarded by each subcommittee and one awarded by the subcommittee chairs. So our vocational subcommittee recipient of the Floyd Qualls Scholarship is Angelina Stillman. Angelina is from New Holland, Pennsylvania. She is attending Central Penn College in Summerdale, Pennsylvania, and she is majoring in legal studies and was very excited about getting involved with um, our attorney's affiliate and finding out what they did. So, Angelina. Good, mor good morning, everyone. First, I want to thank um, ACB and the, thanks, <laughs> the scholarship committee and all the time and consideration and um, that they spent getting to know all of us. It's okay. <laughs> Just fixing the mic. <laughs> um, also, I want to thank Ira with, for this great opportunity that they're giving all of us uh, for the next nine months. Um, a brilliant attorney once said that an attorney can either be a um, parasite to society or a social engineer. And I hope that uh, this scholarship will take me one step closer to be a social engineer um, as an attorney. I also want to thank uh, one of the most important people in my life that got me here today and always told me to follow my dreams, and that is my mom. So thank you, everyone. Thank you. 
Our, under, ooh, our undergraduate Floyd Qualls scholarship is also not here. He also is from Oregon and is also attending the summer work experience program at the Oregon Commission for the Blind in Salem. Uh, but he opted um, to stay and participate there. His name is Ruben Flores Hernandez. He is from Salem, Oregon. He is an entering freshman who will be attending Portland State University. Uh, he and, he and uh, Leanne can run into each other. His major is mathematics with a minor in music. The undergraduate... <laughs> The undergraduate Floyd Qualls Memorial Scholarship is, given, is being given to a returning scholarship winner. Thomas Woodyard, or Tommy as he likes to be called, is from Cumming, Georgia. Thomas is a member of the Georgia Council of the Blind. He is a previous scholarship winner, as I said, attending the University of Georgia in Athens. He's working towards a BA in international affairs, and he says his ultimate goal is some type to go into some type of law. Tommy. Okay. Good morning, ACB. Okay, I would first like to thank Ms. Denise for that fantastic introduction. So, uh, as she stated, uh, I am Tommy Woodyard, a third-year student at the University of Georgia where I, where I major in international affairs and I'm minoring in public administration. I recently added it. And I am uh, currently studying for the LSAT this summer and I'm scheduled to take that exam on September 8th. And I am planning to uh, ultimately double-dog at the University of Georgia uh, in law school. So... I have to give an obligatory go dogs. Roo roo roo. And I'm a and uh, I'm extraordinarily grateful for the American Council of the Blind uh, to give me this generous scholarship. I would like to thank my local chapter, Georgia Council of the Blind, <laughs> ACB students and a national organization for their support over the course of my studies. The inevitable help, or the invaluable help that I have received from ACB has allowed me to excel throughout my uh, studies. And spending time, at this memorable, spending time with this memorable group of extraordinary students from around the country, we'll back up a little bit, <laughs> has broadened my perspective and enabled me to form connections that will endure for many years. I've had the privilege of attending diverse workshops which helped me discover new skills which I will use for the rest of my life. Exchanging, or, yeah, exchanging experiences and ideas with my fellow scholarship winners has given me insight into new ways to approach my education and motivated me to achieve the best of my academic ability. I will not waste the opportunity that this scholarship has given me and will diligently pursue my degree. Thank you very much once again for the scholarship and I will put it to great use. The undergraduate Floyd's, Floyd Qualls Scholarship is being awarded to Eric Harvey. 
Eric is from Concord, California. He will be attending Brandeis University in Waltham, Massachusetts. <laughs> I have all these Massachusetts. I don't know. <laughs> he is a... I'm sorry. He's, uh, he's the graduate quals. I'm sorry. Um, he is a graduate student working towards a PhD in Near Eastern and Judaic Studies. That intrigues me. Eric. Good morning. I know scholars have a reputation for long-windedness, so I will try to keep this under an hour. Um, <laughs> as mentioned, I'm entering what I hope to be the final year of my PhD program at Brandeis University. Uh, in my research, I study ancient religion, literature, and history. Uh, texts from the Epic of Gilgamesh on ancient clay tablets to the scroll fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls. As you can imagine, this includes some unique accessibility barriers. Most of these texts were not produced with accessibility in mind. <clears throat> As I lost my vision through the course of my PhD, I never doubted that I would finish, that I would do what it takes, uh, whatever it took, uh, and adapt to the challenges ahead of me. But I also knew that it would take a little bit longer and a little bit more work and a little bit of a different kind of work than I had anticipated. And so I wish to thank the ACB uh, and the ACB Scholarship Committee for this generous award uh, that helped support me uh, as I adapted to my vision loss and doing my research in different ways uh, and helped to position me to enter a career in academic teaching uh, from a strong position. So thank you to all of you of the ACB and to the ACB Scholarship Committee and to Ira for their additional generous gift. Thank you very much. The Floyd Qualls Memorial Scholarship selected by the Scholarship uh, Committee Chairs is being awarded to Miranda Borka. Miranda is a returning scholarship winner. She was here last year. She is from Lynchburg, Virginia. She is under, an undergraduate who is attending Liberty University, majoring in social work, and um, is really interested in working with immigrants and welcoming immigrants to the United States. And Miranda and I have decided that we're going to be best buds because we've had a lot of fun together. So, Miranda. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. You have to eat the mic. I got it. Um, thank you so much, um, ACB and the Scholarship Committee. Um, I am uh, I'm thankful to be here again. Um, 
Much has happened in the past year since I stood before you um, on the West Coast. Um, I um, had the opportunity to uh, fulfill a required upper-level upper elective um, due in very large part to the generous scholarship I received from ACB last year. Um, I, so I fulfilled this requirement by traveling to the Dominican Republic um, and this fulfilled a long-awaited dream that I had to travel outside the United States to learn about other cultures. Um, this was a dream that I had that I was unable to fulfill in, um, in previous internship opportunities because organizations did not want to take me outside the United States as someone who was blind. So thank you to ACB um, for believing in me and, and my fellow um, scholarship recipients. Um, I, I don't know what lies ahead as far as um, all, that, all that I will be doing, but I just appreciate um, your support. Thank you very much. And finally, the Ross N. Pangier Foundation for the Visually Impaired Scholarships. There are three of these that are given, and we were extremely, extremely honored this year that Ross Pangier not only wanted to continue the scholarships, but more than doubled them. These scholarships are given to students who must be studying in the field of business, computer science, or information technology. The first recipient is Joshua King. Josh is from Marion, Iowa. He's an entering freshman who will be attending the University of Notre Dame. And his, his major is business analytics, working towards a master's in business administration. Joshua. Hi, everyone. I'm Josh King, as I just said. Uh, I'd like to begin by thanking God for this amazing opportunity and experience that he's bestowed upon me. Um, I'd also like to thank the ACB, Ross Pangier Foundation, and everyone else here for inviting me and welcoming here. It's my first time being here, so it's a privilege to be here. I'd also like to give a special thanks to my mom and sister for being able to travel with me for Marion and to the rest of my family and friends from Eastern Iowa for always loving and supporting me. And oh, Thank you. And uh, finally, I'd like to congratulate the rest of the scholarship recipients here with me. I've enjoyed getting to meet all of them, and I hope all of us can, can continue to pursue our paths and careers with confidence and perseverance. Thank you.
The next recipient is Edward Shaham. Edward is from, um, we're Hartford, Connecticut. He is attending Temple University in Philadelphia, majoring in supply chain management. And when I called Edward to tell him about the scholarship, he kept saying, I don't believe this. I'm really getting this amount? Is this for real? It was so much fun to be able to make somebody that excited. So, Edward. All right, good morning, ACB. I am so excited to be here. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I hope my tie is on straight this morning. I, I didn't check, so. <laughs> but I know, I know none of you out there are judging me. You're actually pushing me and propelling me forward. And I appreciate all of you, and I want to give a special thank you to the scholarship committee. You guys worked so hard. Um, and I want to give a special thank you to the student division, uh, Min Ha, the president, uh, Tamara, second vice. Uh, there's, that, there's that speaker. Yep. Um, Emily, um, Sarah, and whoever else I did not meet or I, I've forgotten, I apologize, but student division really... Um, you guys made us feel very welcome with open arms, and you, you just, you're very genuine, so thank you so much, and thank you for um, uh, all of you out there, council members, uh, this isn't possible without you, uh, and the Ross and Pangier Foundation, uh, I have to give a special thank you because the, this, this scholarship is going to help me get my certification in project management, which will help differentiate me in, in the business world. And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, thank two more people. Denise, uh, amazing. She's the glue that put everything together. So any issues I had, I went to Denise. And of course, I want to thank Ira for their generosity because if you haven't used Ira before, um, it is simply amazing having someone right there to read things to you, to, to help guide you, and it really gives you a sense of confidence and a sense of security. So thank you so much, Ira. Thank you, ACB. Thank you, students. Thank you, everyone, and God bless. Our final uh, Pangeer Scholarship winner is Matthew Turner. Matthew is from Eagle, Idaho. I love that. I love Northwest people. He is re receiving his second scholarship. Matt is attending MIT in Boston. You know, Boston is just going to be overwhelmed with all these scholarship winners. 
He is um, getting a, BA, a Bachelor of Science in Mathematics with Computer Science. And so, Matthew. Good morning, everyone. First of all, I'd like to start off by thanking the Scholarship Committee, Sharon Strakowski, Denise Colley, and the Ross and Pangier Foundation for providing me with this scholarship that will allow me to continue my studies at MIT this fall. And, oh, sorry. <laughs> I'd also, um, most importantly, I'd like to thank each and every one of you uh, for showing me what it means to live a life without limits. Now, don't get me wrong, limits have their time and place, like potentially on the prices at the hotel restaurant or the number of corridors I need to walk through to get from my room to convention registration. <laughs> limits, however, have no place in the life of the blind and visually impaired. One of my favorite things about the ACB is that we don't accept the status quo for an answer, but rather, in the words of Paul in his second epistle to the Corinthians, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, through hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. It's only when we elect to place hope in our prospects rather than wallow in our perceptions that we can live a life of victory, a life that is truly limitless. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. In closing, I just want to, first of all, thank all of the sponsors who sponsored uh, the various parts of our scholarship activities this year. I want to especially say thank you to RSVA, because every year they have been so faithful in sponsoring our dinner, sponsoring the student luncheon, and other activities. So thank you, RSVA. I want to say thank you to Madam President for allowing me to um, have this great honor for my first year as your scholarship chairperson. Hopefully I will be back next year. And um, I just want to make two quick announcements. One, um, don't forget the scholarship reception this afternoon at 545 in the President's Suite. I think that's 416. Yep. Um, for all scholarship winners, scholarship committee, family of scholarship winners, and every uh, state and special interest affiliate is invited to send two of their members to the scholarship reception. So we hope to see you there. I also want to say to the scholarship committee, we will be taking a group picture. So when we break, come up here to the front and we'll figure out where we're going to take the picture. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you the 2018 ACB scholarship class. Thank you.
Give Denise a hand. She did a great job. Okay, by way of finishing up on uh, scholarships, uh, door price people, will you please get to microphones quickly? Mr. Chairman? Yes. Uh, well. Yes, Mr. Chairman, um, I have, uh, one point is that um, I, I do want to mention that the American Council of Blind Lions donated a Topaz sponsorship to help with scholarship travel in the amount of $3,000. Excellent, excellent. And, and Mr. Chairman... When it's appropriate, I'd like to make a quick mini-mall announcement, please. Stand by. Well, stand by, please. I understand that uh, Don Kors is here to present something to Indiana briefly by way of wrap-up in the scholarship dom domain. ACB of Indiana would like to present $100 to the James Olson Scholarship Fund. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Ah, those golden college days. I, I wish I remembered mine, but... Uh, <laughs> But since I graduated from Altered State University, uh, they're kind of haze. They're kind of fuzzy, you know. Okay, we're ready for door price? Yes. All right. You'll have them get ready. Uh, the door price people ready? Uh, by the way, Pernice. Okay, let's do some announcements. Dan Spoon, recognize you. Oh, Jan uh, Janet goes first. Janet goes first, sorry. Janet. No, Janet goes first. Hello, everybody. Couple quick announcements from the. Uh, convention coordinator. In your goodie bags, first of all, was some information about a product called uh, Tearmender. You probably saw that in your goodie bags. The product will actually be at the Missouri Council of the Blind, at the MCB booth um, in the exhibit hall. And it is a very cool product donated by St. Louis Lighthouse for the Blind. It was determined that it might not be the best thing to put it in the red... If, if, it's a glue-type substance that is good for mending your tears or fixing a quick hem. So instead of putting it in the bags, it will be at the no. Missouri Council, at the Missouri booth, so that no. you know what you're getting. Thank you. Um, Mark Twain tour on Friday. The tickets show 7.30. Unfortunately, that is not correct. The tour will be leaving at 5.30 a.m. because of the distance. So anybody who's on Mark Twain will put this in the newspaper, will put it all over, but it's 5.30 a.m., not 7.30. And that was changed early on on the registration and is in the program. At the, Braille, at the uh, information desk, we have a Braille book about the Star Spangled Banner. We have a set of very nice earbuds, and we still have a slate and stylus. Lost, we are looking for a yellow sun hat, and someone lost their Braille edge. So if anyone has seen that, please go to the information desk with that. Extremely important. Uh, wine tasting today and tomorrow. If you are involved in the BPI wine tasting, there's a move in that. That will be in a meeting room that is in Colorado Eagle. So wine tasting for BPI is in Colorado Eagle. Um, banquet tickets, of course, if you have a table, not tickets, but if you have a table of eight for the banquet, stop by the information desk and give all eight names for the table, or as, hopefully you'll have a full table when you stop at the information desk. We'd like all eight names and a table, and we'll assign you a table number. Tonight at the ACB Cafe is stir-fry night um, till 7 p.m. 
If you have an appointment with the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, they are in Dixie Flyer. And if you have an appointment with J.P. Morgan Chase, they are in Meteor. And that is what I have. Thank you very much, Mr. McCann. Again, thank you much. Okay. Mr. Spoon? Mr. All right. Uh, I'm on the mic. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Chair. On behalf of the Resource Development Committee, I just want to let everybody know that we continue to have the monthly monetary support MMS program booth. It's booth five next to the mini mall. For anybody who increases their pledge by $5 or joins new as $10, they will be in a raffle drawing for a new Amazon Fire and a digital screen television. So you get not only the Fire, but also a television to go with it. In addition to that, we have two daily winners. Each daily winner, which is drawn each morning, receives $80 in gift certificates from Starbucks, Dunkin' Donut, Amazon, Walmart, and Walgreens. $80 worth of value each day. Our first two winners, please come by booth five and pick up your gift cards, are Mary Lynn Pipho, P-I-E-P-H-O, and Anthony Akamini from Hawaii. So to both Mary Lynn and Anthony, thank you so much for donating. Please come by those booths. And I would now like to recognize Kim Abair from the auction committee and then followed by Dan Dillon uh, to talk about raffle prices. Thank you. Meet me at the auction. Tomorrow evening we have preview at 6 p.m. and the auction starts promptly at 7. We have jewelry, trips, sports paraphernalia, art, jewelry, food goodies, a variety of different gift baskets and gift cards. Please meet me at the auction. Now, and Dan, now Dillon. Dan Dillon. Thank you, thank you. Let me ask you a question, guys. Uh, anybody in the room would like to win $5,000? Okay, in order to do that, you need to purchase a raffle ticket. They are $50, but you can go in with friends, family, whatever. Up to five people can go in and spend $10 each and get $1,000 in return if you win. What an what a, what a investment that is, huh? And, uh, and we have $5,000 first prize, $1,000 second prize, $500 third prize, the drawing will be at the banquet Thursday evening. You do not have to be present to win, but you need to buy a ticket to win. And let me just tell you, you need to buy a ticket from me. I think two out of the last four years I have drawn the winning prize. Okay. So my name is Dan Dillon. Come to the Tennessee uh, delegation. Also, you can, uh, to, to, get, to buy from me, you can get tickets at the mini mall. You can uh, also get tickets at reg registration. Thank you. Okay. Hello. Hello. I'd like to make an announcement, please. Mr. Chair. Carla, I recognize Carla. Chair recognizes Carla at this time. Did you recognize me? I did. Oh, sorry. Okay, it's hard for us. It, it's almost impossible for us to understand okay. here in Kentucky. Okay. It's very distorted. <laughs> um, okay, at the mini mall today, there's a couple of things that we need to remind you about. First of all, if you have a ticket for a shirt or a pin that you purchase through pre-registration, 
You need to bring your ticket to the mini mall today by 5 p.m. in order to pick up your shirt or your pin. Now, if you can't do that, you can still bring those tickets after today, but we do not guarantee that we will have your size in your shirt after today. We release them for public sale beginning tomorrow morning. Also, you can um, be sure to look at our jackets and polo shirts. We have the Gateway to Success items, and that is the only place you can buy Gateway to Success souvenir items. We're already out of magnets and travel mugs. We do have other mugs, steins, um, beautiful keepsake boxes, just a couple of them left, and uh, also a couple of messenger bags that are still left with that design on them. Many, many more items, uh, quick chargers, four-port um, four chargers, um, cables for charging your different devices, and uh, new luggage tags. So um, come and see what all we have. And if you don't have a price list, we have Braille and large print price lists at the mall. And for with an order of $20 or more, you receive a free ACB key ring. Thank you. Okay, great call. We have an announcement from uh, Executive Director Eric Bridges. All right, well, good morning. Uh, a fun, quick announcement. Uh, this afternoon around 4.30 in the uh, Grand Hall Bar, there's going to be a happy hour held for uh, young professionals. So if you are a young professional looking to meet other young professionals, uh, come hang with us. Uh, I'll buy a round of beers. <laughs> and... And I know who young people are, you guys. So it's not for the entire room. Um, that's right, Ray. Not for you. But uh, we would love to just have an informal setting just to get to know one another a little bit better. Uh, again, 4.30, uh, Grand Hall, uh, Lobby Bar. We will have uh, some sighted teammates on hand to help collect folk. And uh, thanks. Mr. Chair, requesting permission for an announcement, please. Very briefly. I mean, we're going to move to door prizes. Certainly. I'm Tamara Lomax. I'm the vice president for BPI and second vice president for ACB students. ACB students and BPI is having a co-sponsored event this evening at 8 p.m. It will be our story slam. I just wanted to make a quick announcement that we had a little bit of a miscommunication. Our pre-registration price is $5. However, on the agenda, it is listed at $7. That is not correct. The event will be $5 for pre-registration and also $5 at the door. Please come and join us. Again, it is at 8 p.m. and it will be in Midway 1 and 2. Cash bar available. Okay, thank you. Door prizes. Okay. Who's doing door prizes? Our, our first gift is generously donated from Canada. It's mixed chocolates. From Jacette Carnegie. And the winner is Rose, and the winner is Rose Ledford. Okay, she's right over there. Okay, the next door prize. 
is an Echo Dot. Got my name on it. Donated by ACB of Wisconsin. And the winner is Linda Allison of Knoxville, Tennessee. She's not here? Okay, we're going to pick another name. She's working market. Does that count or no? All right. How many more do we give? One more. One more. Okay. All right. The next one is from MCB, and it is a keychain and ten dollars. And the winner is. Pinky, pink, Pinky Harris, Louisiana. We here? Okay, we we'll pick another name. Deborah Waddell. Deborah Waddell. Yes. Ohio. Okay. Okay, she's very good. Thank you. Okay, per force, uh, we will not have a break as such. Uh, you do what you need to do when, how, and as you need to do it, uh, but we need to move on. Our next presenter is from Watertown, Massachusetts. College success, making it happen, Ms. Leslie Thatcher. Ironically enough, she is the director of the college success program uh, at the Perkins School. And so I commend to you, uh, Ms. Thatcher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. I know that you have had an exciting okay. but a long morning. Um, my name is Leslie Thatcher. I'm, as he mentioned, Director of College Success at Perkins School for the Blind in, Walth- in Watertown, Massachusetts. Quick context, uh, College Success is a nine-month, brand new, nine-month residential bridge program, if you will, between high school and college to work on the skills, the academic college skills and blindness skills students need to be successful in college. And I'm going to give you a brief overview and context. I can imagine um, you need a little zip, so I'll put my energy into this and uh, try and make this fun and exciting as much as I can. I'm pretty passionate about the topic, so. Ready? Okay. So, um, I've spent almost 30 years working on the transition from high school to college uh, in my career. And this is a really critical one that's challenging for all students. I think it's especially challenging now in these very complex times with technology and so many layers of things to learn. Um, for context, I want to I raise the idea of someone named Carol Dweck, who some of you may know from popular media reports and things like that. She's a professor at Stanford University who um, really popularized the idea of, you might have heard, grit, resilience, um, and the growth mindset. And that is something where um, students who have a growth mindset believe that they, that challenges and failures are opportunities to learn, and they believe that they can keep learning, versus someone with a fixed mindset who believes that a failure just demonstrates that they're they're not capable or that they're not smart. So we are working with a growth mindset and it's a teachable thing and college success is designed to empower students with a growth mindset. 
Um, we know with the college-bound students that we are working with, um, if you're a VR counselor or a um, TVI or you're a mom or a dad or an aunt or an uncle or a, a member of all of the affiliates out there in the country, you're working with young people. Um, and we, we see that young people are, drop, are not completing college at a rate of about 60%, young people with blind, blindness and visual impairment. And we are working to try and change some of those statistics. Um, my questions as a professional in this field for so long is how and when do we do the work to empower these students with the skills they need for success? When do we work on non-cognitive factors such as a sense of belonging, um, a sense and of goal setting in school, um, a feeling of self-regulation as they encounter challenges and obstacles? How do we begin to empower students to understand that they can overcome and persist in the face of these challenges. How do we squeeze that in in a traditional four-year high school curriculum while also trying to teach orientation and mobility, other blindness skills, and just getting through the curriculum in high school? We know the consequences when we don't do it because our students arrive in college not ready to succeed. We know that our high school curriculum in general is designed for four-year completion, right? And we know that it's designed to be completed in four years by typically sighted students. Um, and I'm starting to wonder if maybe an extra nine months, like our program, may help some of those students who need some extra time. Um, for our students generally, um, we want to work with their... Um, with increasing their sense of efficacy um, and their sense and um, goal setting in college. So what we are doing at Perkins trying to make this quick so I'm editing as I'm, I'm walking through my talk. Um, what we are doing now is addressing some of those skill sets. So what we have done is we've developed a nine-month residential program. It's designed to, um, based on research that Perkins did, um, interviewing college students who had persisted in college, college students who had stopped attending college, college professors, Office of Disability Services, and we definitely identified some themes. This is not going to come as a surprise. Increased orientation and mobility work. Increased work with assistive technology and cutting-edge technology. Um, lots of independent living skills. And another area I want to raise is work on executive functioning skills. Time management, planning, following complex sequential directions. Um, general organization skills that many of our young adults are challenged with now our students are no different. Um, but executive functioning coaching, which is something I have great background in, um, is often the special sauce that really helps students begin to have a different perception on what their struggles are and it empowers them with new tools. So what we are doing is um, launching this program August 20th. It's an innovative program. It's based on the research that we've done, and it re recognizes what Carol Dweck was talking about, a sense of belonging, goal setting, and looking at the, the human condition of these students. Our program's twofold. We work on both blindness skills and college skills. Our students will gain an understanding of their capacity and be able to practice it independently over the course of nine months. A skill builds on skill, builds on skill. A college, our college success students will be allowed um, and take college classes in the Boston area based on where they arrive at us with their skill set. We're going to place them in classes in collaboration with partner colleges that are appropriate for where they are and build them up to the next level. Um, but they're going to come back every day to our campus, to our dorm, 
um, in an environment that mimics a college campus, but it, it has a combination of knowledgeable support with our staff in college success. It's a standalone program on campus, intentional challenge, and earned independence. We launched August 20th with 10 dynamic students, amazing students from six different states. Special shout out to North Carolina, New York, and Florida particularly, who have really been um, phenomenal partners in helping make this possible for some of our students. We're going to support them in independently gaining access and support and seeing what that's like through their Office of, Div of Disability Services. We're going to visit a lot of them and help these students practice describing what their needs are, what helps them learn, and, um, and encounter difficulties in achieving them. We're going to help support them in acquiring the supports that they need. Students will take courses either on campus or online, depending on what our goals are. We may have a student who needs to really prioritize orientation and mobility. And they're going to take an online course and work on O&M in another context. Um, when they encounter challenges in like writing, if you think back to your first college paper, right, and think of how fantastic that was for you, um, we're going to be there supporting them, teaching them writing skills, teaching them research skills, reinforcing the skills that they're learning in their college classes um, from an executive functioning perspective, from a writing coach's perspective, um, and then send them off to go practice. Um, do we want them to learn how to do college as independently as possible? We have a full-time orientation and mobility instructor, full-time VR instructor, and we, we really, really are committed to helping these students gain their independence. By spring, our 10 students will be taking up to two college classes. <laughs> and I'm, I'm in the home stretch, man. Our students will take two college classes, have monthly job shadows that have been specifically designed for them. Um, and learn how to juggle their schedules, their free time. How do I exercise? How do I take on that leadership opportunity? How do I become involved with my local ACB affiliate and fit that in, right? All of this will be supported by four classes um, taught by our TVI, Kate Cadillac, who some of you may know. Um, these courses are going to be the college experience, know your rights, health and wellness, and the pre-employment experience, which will really dig into what lights these students' fires and how are they going to identify classes and potential majors and potential colleges that address those. So... On top of it all, they'll be mentored. We have three of our staff who are, have various visual impairments, and I am really excited about the team we've acquired and that have chosen to join our program, and uh, our kids are really going to do something neat here. We're going to be assessing the whole year round, so we will come back next year with some, some updates and some insights and some adjustments, I'm sure, to what we're doing, but that's what college success is, nine months of practicing and hopefully beginning a new conversation in how we change these numbers and we change the experience of our students so we can benefit from all they have to offer as we clearly saw in the world. So thank you for your time. Um, if you have questions, I'm happy to answer them off, off side. <laughs> thank you. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, there's a slight alteration to the program uh, as uh, the, presenter, the presenter for VFO is not able to be here tomorrow. We are altering slightly so you can say a few words to us right now. Uh, I'd like to recognize Mr. Ron Miller from VFO Group. Ron? Ron? Oh, let me say... Other, okay. Let me, okay.
Oh, there it is. Okay. Can I move this? There we go. Good morning. Good morning. I'm, uh, I'm a little bit out of my slot, but uh, my name is Ron Miller, and I am with VFO Group. And I'm now trying like crazy to get my notes open in front of me. <laughs> um, thank you very much for, for allowing me to, to be able to speak with you. I'm uh, sort of dropped in after the other sponsors. Speak up. Okay. Is that better? This, I'm fighting the boom here. There we go. Okay. So bear with me for just a moment. There we go. Had to get my keyboard unlocked so I could look at my notes because you don't want me to improvise up here, right? So I do want to um, pass greetings on to, of course, President Charlson, Mr. Chairman, all of, our, all of the local and state and local uh, ACB affiliates and members, all of the honored guests here. It is indeed a privilege to be able to talk to you again this year. And uh, I am with VFO Group. I am the Low Vision and Blindness Hardware Support Manager. And uh, just... Briefly, like our other sponsors have gotten to do, I want to give you a bit of a glimpse into this year without going long. It's been a very exciting year for us at VFO Group. We have undergone continued expansion in the scope of products and services we offer. And it's really exciting for us because as we bring various companies together, uh, we're, not, we're not reducing what we're doing. The resources that are shared between the several companies which now comprise VFO allow us to develop new access technology and to enhance and improve our existing products in ways which would not have been possible if we didn't share ideas, insights, skills, engineering, and development resources like we can now. So look for even more uh, great hardware and software developments as we continue to combine our various strengths and abilities into the future. Now, the theme of the 2018 convention is the gateway to success. And it's really very cool that, that, that this convention is being held here with this theme. The, the, the gateway arch is what comes to mind when we think of the gateway to success, right? But we're sitting in a monument that is a gateway to success. Union Station, where we're sitting right now, opened on September 1st, 1894. It was the largest railroad station in the world. In the, uh, in the train shed outside, where there's the lake and the restaurants and those kind of things, there were 42 tracks in that 11.5 acre space. It's big out there, guys. You've all walked in and out of there going to the various restaurants and stuff, right? In its heyday, 22 railroads. 22 railroads served St. Louis here. In the 1940s, 100,000 people per day passed through this station. In just 40 years, approximately, from the late 1890s to 1940s, in just 40 years, access to rail travel from St. Louis opened up new opportunities to millions upon millions of people per year. Access to rail travel revolutionized people's lives as they passed through this gateway to the nation, right? Okay, listen, listen, listen with me, listen. I hear in this, this place that used to have all the trains come through, I hear a train. I hear the whistle. 
off in the distance and the rails begin to vibrate. Those of you who ride BART in California, those of you in the Northeast Corridor, or all of you rail riders, you know how you can hear the train way off? The rails start to sing, they start to vibrate, you hear the whistle or the horn. That sound you're hearing now is the approach of the ACB Express. Okay? Its run began some 58 years ago. Some of us have been aboard for a lot of years. Some of us are just now boarding. The scholarship folks, that, the recipients who just uh, were presented to you today are, are some of those new folks. It's composed of many different cars carrying many different kinds of contributions to this journey to success. One of those cars is labeled Access Technology. Since the first ACB National Convention, a lot of progress has been made, and we are really, really glad to be a part of those who are, who are leading and contributing to that journey to success on the ACB Express. So we're all traveling forward together. We're all traveling through that gateway to success. We'd love for you to come visit us. We're down in booths 67 through 73. We've got a lot of products to show you, a lot of things for you to get your hands on. I won't try to to get through that list of stuff. Come see the discounts we're offering both in software and hardware. And let's keep traveling together through this gateway through success. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the exhibit hall. Okay, yeah, I do now. Um, before announcing the next panel, I'm going to indicate to you that the two groups that will be following will be introduced by Eric uh, Bridges because uh, he knows a lot more about them. Uh, right now, I'd like to introduce to you uh, two great individuals. Uh, they're going to talk about new collaborative strategic initiatives that are being developed by both the American Foundation for the Blind and the American Printing House for the Blind. Those of you who were at the AFB breakfast will have heard something about this, but I commend to you two very great individuals, Mr. Russell Schaefer, of, uh, the chairman of the board of AFB, and the executive director of APH, that would be Craig Meter. Good morning, everyone. How are y'all doing out there? Everybody happy? All right. Okay. Well, good morning. I am not Craig or Russell. Uh, My name is Ann Durham, and I'm the Vice President of Marketing and Sales for the American Printing House for the Blind. And I've had that job for about a year, but prior to that, I worked for nine years at the American Foundation for the Blind. And both of those organizations have a very special place in my heart. So I'm very pleased to be here this morning to moderate a conversation with Russell and Craig to tell you about a very important partnership between our organizations and the importance of partnership for all of us in achieving our goals. Helen Keller said, and if you know this, you can say this with me, alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. That's right. Both AFB and APH have recently adopted new strategic plans that were actually very complementary. And so we're going to take this opportunity to tell you about how our work um, is having a bigger impact on our goals. So both AFB and APH have recently adopted new strategic plans. So I'll start with Russell. And Russell, can you tell us about AFB's strategic planning process and their new directions?
Thanks, Anne. Good morning, everybody. Um, I first just want to say thank you to ACB. This is my first ACB convention, and what a wonderful experience. Thanks to all of you for making me feel so welcome. A uh, quick shout out to our wonderful AFB staff who are here, Aaron, Lee, and Mark. Um, they go without any further in need for introduction, but um, just really, really grateful to have the opportunity to represent AFB. So when we think about what we are all about at AFB, it's really simple. Our mission is to create a world of no limits for the 25 million Americans who are blind or low vision. Uh, as you think about that number 25 million, that's a number that's only going to increase. And as you know, as that number increases, we're also in the midst of a changing world, a changing landscape. The way of work is changing. Uh, the way of interacting with technology is changing. Education is changing. The world around us is changing. In order for AFB to be well positioned, to be able to create a world of no limits for people who are blind to low vision, we need to change as well. That led us two years ago to embark on a a journey of a new strategic plan. We talked with stakeholders, we talked with educators, we talked with employers and employees who are blind. We talked with many of you, people who are blind and low vision yourself, to help bring in information to help shape our new strategic plan and direction. We introduced our strategic plan about a year ago in June 2017, and through all of our conversations and a thorough review of our expertise, it really led us to um, this position, all framed by the question, what can AFB uniquely do to create a world of no limits? Uh, that led us to really lean in and focus on three key areas around research, policy, and partnerships, as well as to emphasize uh, a focus on advocacy and change around the social systems uh, that need to be improved in order to create that world of no limits so people who are blind and low vision can achieve the American dream. Our efforts have been centered around uh, areas of education, employment, and aging. And I'll talk a little bit more about those in, in a, here in a minute, but I'll um, yield to Craig so he can tell you a little bit about what's going on at APH. Thanks, Russell. <clears throat> Sorry. Thanks, Russell. Had to slide up to the mic there. Um, good morning, and uh, once again, good to be here. Uh, AP hey, there's... I have so many friends out there. I, saw, I think I saw Denise and Burl from Washington. I actually originally uh, started in Washington State and then had the privilege of coming to Kentucky and have made a lot of new friends in Kentucky as well, and that is now home for me, and it's wonderful. Yay, yeah, there's a couple of years there. All right. Well, anyhow, APH, AFB, uh, we have been joined at the hip since the beginning, it seems like. If, if you, you historians, and please feel free to correct me if I am wrong, but when you look at some of the historical data, one of the big things that APH does is we have a very robust studio, and we do a lot of the recordings for NLS, all of which was a gift from AFB many, many, many years ago. Under AFB leadership, at, at they, they had a, a, I guess they didn't call it strategic plans way back in the early 1900s, but they had a strategic plan session where their leadership said, hey, if we are really going to address the issues facing blind adults in America, we have got to streamline. And at that time, they had the studio going. They were doing talking books. 
So they reached out to APH at that time, back I believe it was 1920, around that time, and said, would you consider taking on this very important mission? To which APH said, yes, we will take on Talking Books as part of our mission. So last year, when we finished our strategic plan, we acknowledged that we had done some things very well, and that was basically providing educational materials for students K through 12. But we also realized our board said we have not hit all aspects of our mission. And our mission was not just to work with students who are K through 12th grade. If you look at our charter, it says all blind people. Cradle to grave. And so our board challenged us saying, why are we not in that space and what could we be delivering both to adults as well as to families and little ones who are just being diagnosed and being identified? What are we doing and how can we fill those gaps? So that was a bit of a a perplexing thing because for any of those, and I gave part of this talk yesterday morning, so I apologize for the redundancy, but Whenever you start into a new venture, there are always a lot of costs involved. It's, it's never, a, you know it as you pick up a new hobby, um, whether that be crocheting or whether that be, uh, you know, birding or whether that be whatever. New hobbies cost money. Yes, they do. As golfers will attest, you know, and then they continue, unless you're a really good golfer. Uh, Fishermen, you know that as well too. It's that you always got to have that new lure. Well, anytime you start a new venture, there are significant startup costs. So as we looked at to birth the five and adults and transition age students, we knew there were going to be some really extensive startup costs. And a lot of that was just finding an audience. So when Kirk reached out to me uh, from AFB last year and said, we are streamlining our mission, it was... And we were wondering if you would take on some of the pieces that we have done with our mission. It was both a, a, um, uh, a kind of a, a divine appointment, I like to think. And then the other piece, too, is, was an incredible gift of websites that were well-trafficked and well-used by uh, people in this field, as well as the university press. So it was an incredible gift. So we just today, pretty much all of those things transferred over to APH. APH will now be running the, the former uh, AFB family of websites, uh, Career Connect, Vision Aware, um, Family Connect, Brailbug, and uh, the resource services. Uh, Access World will stay with under with Lee and with uh, AFB, but also the University Press, all those uh, wonderful books and materials that have been used for decades to train teachers and rehab counselors who work with blind and visually impaired, all of that material will now be handled by APH as well. So it is an exciting time at APH. I'm so thankful for, uh, once again, this partnership And the beauty of all this is just because we are taking on these responsibilities, fortunately for us, AFB is not doing a a drop and run. They're not just saying, here you go, see you later. Uh, Their goal is to stay connected with us and to continue breathing into those websites. And this will be the shared partnership. We will be the stewards of all those sites and those uh, uh, training books. And we will rely heavily on, on AFB 
as we move forward through the years to, to keep this a very active partnership and to keep promoting and pushing and uh, supporting the field. So we're very thankful for that. Thank you, Craig. So I want to um, ask Russell a question. I'm sure that this question is all in your minds, that uh, we know that the largest group of Americans affected by blindness and low vision are actually older people who are experiencing it for the first time. So tell us a little about AFB's plans to ensure that this growing population has the services and the tools they need to live independently. Thanks, Anne. So yeah, like you said, um, you know, as we think about the continuum of people who are blind and low vision in the, in the U.S., we need to think about children entering school, but we also need to think about uh, people who are aging into vision loss, uh, as well as people who have vision loss onset uh, early in life who are getting older themselves and uh, are combining some of the mobility challenges and other things that, that come along with aging with uh, vision loss that's, that's been in place. So like I said before, 25 million Americans today who are blind or low vision 75 million baby boomers are uh, aging uh, each and every day in our country, many of whom are going to progress into vision loss as a result. When you think about that and you look at our system of services today, Medicaid, Medicare, private insurance, many of these systems of support do not provide adequate support for low vision therapy and assistive devices that older Americans with vision loss need. Moreover, we know through research that only 2% of older Americans with vision loss are fully benefiting from and using the services that exist for them today. That's why AFB is really committed as part of our public policy initiatives to commission and drive forward a collaborative national coalition on a 21st century agenda on aging and vision loss, working with partners across the country uh, to advocate for policy in four key areas around aging and vision loss. Increased funding for support services for aging and vision loss, uh, an increase in the number and quality of professionals providing support services, uh, a um, recalibration and coordination of services and supports to more effectively and efficiently manage these services, as well as an increase in the availability and access to low vision devices and assistive technology. Uh, For instance, we are working at AFB with physicians, allied care professionals, and others in the field to help ensure that they have a full scope and understanding of the services and supports that are available and needed by aging Americans with vision loss. If you want to get involved with our 21st century agenda on aging and vision loss, I would encourage you to go check out more of the information at afb.org slash aging uh, and find out how you can get involved. Okay. And, uh, yay. Another big issue I know that's on your mind is employment. And both AFB and APH are working on that issue from different directions. So I'm going to ask Craig, um, when it comes to preparation for employment, how is the education system playing a role right now? All right. So this is bringing it to the home stretch right now. We are, um, I I won't say aggressive, but we are getting very active uh, in Washington with talking to Senators and representatives about the need um, to better support educational services in the United States, and I know that's that's dear to everyone's heart. 
And this goes back to the federal quota program. For those who aren't familiar with the federal quota, we receive a chunk of money, and we're very grateful for that, from the federal government every year, which allows us allows us to then distribute that to the states, and then the states are able to um, get products, textbooks, software, hardware, whatever a student might need for their education. The problem with that is it's not enough money. If you look at the, the amount of that money, um, it's, it runs roughly about 300 bucks per student. And for those who have assistive technology devices in front of you, you know how far $300 goes. You can't even get a, a Perkins Brailler for $300. You might get an adapter. You might get a box of paper. You can get some good stuff, but it's, it's not enough. When we... When you look at what the average high school student, if you take, a, if you take your typical 10th grade sophomore level student, and, and uh, those students might be in math and science, your textbooks alone are going to probably run you about $25,000. Then you, you throw in your laptop, your accessibility software, um, your refreshable Braille device, and the costs get astronomical. We launched a campaign this past year with Congress called Keep the Promise, and it's very aggressive. We basically are looking to move from, from to triple our congressional donation within three years, within five years, excuse me. This year, we, by uh, actively and aggressively having conversations and moving those discussions forward, we were able to increase, uh, thanks to Gary Mudd and the work of his team in Washington, D.C. We did see a, a nice increase of $2 million for the quota program, which is a good first step. Um, we asked for an $11 million increase. We got two. Next year, we will ask for an $11 million increase and hope to get closer to that number, but we're going to keep asking and keep pushing. Our goal is to raise $1,000 per student. Now, that's, that's pretty ambitious. When you look at our 40-year history of quota, we've been averaging about $300 a year per student. So we have some very lofty goals. We have a strategy in place, and we're hoping with the support of ACB, or with the support of talking to, uh, if we could encourage you all to reach out to your representatives and your senators and say, hey, support APH, support this mission, raise the amount of quota, we will be, then be able to, in turn, provide more materials and actually allow students to have all the tools they need within the classroom to be successful and have a fair shot at education. So that's my little sales pitch as I, as I shut it down for today. Um, again, I do want to thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for all the support ACP has provided APH all these many years. It's a uh, real pleasure to partner with you, and um, it's just fun working together with people who have like-minded missions, so thank you. And we have just a couple of minutes left at the podium, so we're going to take that and let AFB talk about what they're doing on the side of employment, so let Russell, and he's got a unique perspective on that working at Walmart, so... 
Thanks, Anne. Um, I know our time's coming short, so I will be brief, but this is a topic, uh, as Anne said, that is uh, of particular passion and interest to me. In addition to my role as chair of AFB, I also work as the director of culture, diversity, and inclusion for Walmart Incorporated. Um, each and every day at Walmart, we are focused on the future of work and the changing work environment. And what I love about AFB is that we're focused on that too. We're focused on what is the future of work? How do we help ensure people who are blind or low vision know what that is, know their place in it, and have the skills to be prepared to embrace it? Um, the World Economic Forum says that 75% of primary school age kids today will have a job in the future that does not exist today. So when we think about a world of no limits, there literally are no limits to what the future of work, work looks like. So at AFB, we're really focused on what can we do today around structural systems, working with employers through AFB consulting to ensure that technology is accessible and inclusive for everyone, that workplaces are free of unconscious bias that gets in the way of people with disabilities uh, entering the workforce, but also as people uh, lose their vision as a course of their life, uh, people like myself who uh, went blind as a result of retinitis pigmentosa right in the middle of my career. How do we ensure that people who progressively lose vision do not lose the opportunity not only to work, but to continue to advance in their careers? Through AFB, we are piloting uh, a series of employment summits later this fall, which are going to focus on uh, upskilling and developing skills in four key growth areas of our economy, banking and finance, healthcare, um, information technology and government contracts. Uh, again, as we think about the future of work, I really truly believe that AFB is well positioned to help ensure that people who are blind and low vision have the skills that they need to enter and succeed in the digital gig economy and that the workforce is ready for us. Uh, one last thing I will share uh, that is a, a measure of great pride for all of us at AFB and I think uh, is for everybody in this room, we all know and love Helen Keller as one of our great champions of our cause uh, throughout the course of her lifetime. One of, the, one of the most significant pieces of work that AFB has done in recent years was just done last month, which was to fully digitize the entire archive of Helen Keller's life collection. Yeah. When, when Helen passed away in 1968, she bequeathed more than 160,000 items of her personal collection to AFB, many of which, as you can imagine, due to their fragility, have never been able to fully be accessed or, or in, experienced by a broad public. Um, today, I'm proud to say that at afb.org slash Helen Keller Archives, you can access all of Helen's collection in a fully accessible, inclusive manner. Uh, uh, the interface is accessible. All of the documents have been, uh, have been transcribed. Uh, they have uh, captioning on all of the videos as well as audio description on the videos. To the best of our knowledge, this is the first fully inclusive and accessible digital archive of its kind for people who are blind, people who are deaf, people who are low vision people who are hard of hearing and people who are deaf blind. There's a wonderful article in the Washington Post about it yesterday. I'd encourage you to go check it out. This is really a seminal moment for our community and one I hope you all will rally behind and help spread the word. So thank you for your time this morning. I know we're out of it, but thank you very much. Russ, it's Kim. Thank you for everything. You were fantastic. It's great to meet you.
Any closings? Okay. We're done. Okay. Thanks, guys. <gasps> All right. Let's see who's next. Okay. okay. Oh, sorry. As before, um, I will commend to you our executive director, uh, Mr. Eric Bridges, to introduce the next uh, two <laughs> presenters, to, which will wrap us up. Eric? Yeah, or something. Oh, okay. Well. All right. Well, good to be back with you all. How many of you have watched the TV series NCIS? It is, uh, it is a long-running show. It's been on, I believe, 16 seasons. And it has a very unique distinction of being audio described for all of those seasons. As many of you are probably aware, the requirements to audio describe uh, came in in 2012. So in effect, there were eight or nine seasons ahead of that that they did voluntarily. Uh, CBS did with WGBH. So why am, I, why am I raising this? Well, in February of this year, we were contacted by the casting director of NCIS. They were looking to audition blind actresses for a role in an episode that they had created uh, that had a blind character, a blind character named Annie. And we uh, had a couple of really good discussions with the casting director, and then uh, they put us in touch with the episode writer, and I wound up wound up chatting with the episode writer for the better part of, uh, gosh, two or three hours over the period of a week. Uh, he, he was very, uh, very concerned that the portrayal of this character be accurate, uh, that, that it be done in a way that would reflect uh, how blind people actually live their lives how they, uh, you know, how, how we maneuver through the world. And uh, it, was, it was a f- fantastic set of discussions. What wound up happening was uh, they hired a blind actress to play the blind character. And the episode... Uh, aired on April 17th. It's called Sight Unseen. So if you haven't watched it yet, go, go check it out. But I am, I'm so pleased to be able to uh, introduce our guest. Uh, through the, through the, the writer, uh, we were introduced to Marilee Talkington, the actress that played the role of Annie. And through uh, discussions... Uh, she accepted our invitation to be here this morning. Uh, we are so grateful that, she, that she's come. This is a holiday week. A lot of folks go on vacation, and she and her husband uh, have chosen to, to be with us. She's going to be at the Audio Description Conference luncheon today. She was with us last night. And I, I'm, I'm so appreciative and pleased to introduce Mary Lee Talkington. Good morning. How are you? 
Okay, just so we get on the same page, if you hear me, please clap once. If you hear me, please clap twice. If you hear me, please clap three times. Awesome. Speech over. Um, I love that I got invited to be here. I am so honored and stoked to be in a room full of such deeply passionate, intelligent, fierce humans. Um, so Eric wanted me to talk about NCIS, and I'm going to talk about NCIS. But first, I want to set an intention. And that intention is, for the next 20 minutes, 20 minutes, I want to set an intention for myself and for everyone here of transformation. And the reason I'm setting that, I just decided this morning that I wanted to set that because last night, after NCIS aired, there was a Q&A. And somebody asked me, so do you face any obstacles? And I said, how, how long do you have? And I realized when somebody asks me that, I can go down the obstacle rabbit hole very, very quickly. Because there are so many. There are so many in the business that I've chosen to be in. There are so many in the world we live in. But if I just stand here and talk about all the obstacles, then how boring is that? So... What I do want to do is give some context, because the obstacles are real, but I'm more interested in how those challenges turned into opportunities. So, but I do want to give one, one statistic that I'm not sure a lot of you know. Um, in the entertainment industry, persons with disabilities is the most marginalized, underrepresented group Across the board, yes, of course. And I just want to give you a th throw a couple numbers. And a few of you that were at the um, the video last night heard this. But um, in terms of marginalized groups, uh, the one group above us is the Latino population. F only five percent of characters on television are Latino, and then it goes up from there. And, and white being the um, uh, white males being, of course, the top. Um, we have. Our numbers are nine people in 10,000. So our gap of representation is enormous. So I want to talk about the art here, but I'm also, you'll see that like being an advocate, I, I have to, there's no choice. Every room I walk into, I must advocate. I must. It is my responsibility because those numbers have to change. They have to. Okay. Little background. Okay, just so you know, a little context. My vision. I was born with rod cone dystrophy, uh, which is kind of similar to cone rod dystrophy. It lives in that family. Um, 
I have no central vision. I was born with a big blind spot. Uh, I do have peripheral vision. That peripheral vision has been decreasing over time. Um, I'm light blind. I'm getting more light blind as I get older. So that wonderful light that's being shown in my eyes right now, thank you very much. Um, so light actually... Uh, uh, not only you know causes more vision loss it's painful which is an interesting thing because I've been a stage actor for almost 20 years and so I'm up on stage with 40,000 watts in my eyes um, which is a wild thing but so my mom is blind she has the same thing uh, what I have is genetic and uh, I grew up going to these conventions as a kid but I always went for her I was out going to Disney World uh, you know, peace out, have fun, do your, do your thing, I'm going to go play. So it's really awesome to, to kind of circle back around and come back here and be here for myself. But having a blind mom, uh, uh, you know, when you have generational disability, I think it's a very different thing than having um, an able-bodied parent with a disabled kid. For me, I had, I got the talk uh, in fifth grade, that's what I like to call it, the talk. Um, and she sat me down and she said, you have a choice. You can either look at people the way you need to look at them so that you can see them, and that's with my peripheral vision, which means I would look to the right or to the left. And, and I just want to preface this by saying, she, she was doing the best she could with the strategies that she had. So I'm not judging her at all for this. So she said, you can either do what you need to do, look to the left or, li- or the right to take in what you need, or you can look people, you can teach yourself how to look people in the eye. Now know that if you look to the left or to the right, they will treat you differently. That is the world we live in. And so she didn't tell me which way to go. She just presented that choice to me. And as a child, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to survive in this world. I did not want to be different. I wanted to fit in. So I taught myself how to look people in the eye. And I still do. It's part of my muscle memory now. It's not even a conscious thing anymore. It's just part of my makeup. So I play both sided and blind characters. So, and in fact, 95% of the characters I play are sided. And people don't know. Um... It's a trip, right? So, okay, great. First acting class, UC Davis. I failed because I didn't go, because I was too nervous. I was so self-conscious. I was so terrified of myself, of putting myself out there, that I didn't even go. Didn't even attend. Failed out of that class. Okay, five years later. Graduating from UC San Diego. Uh, I got a decent grade point average going, not totally awesome. I was studying psychology and, um, uh, what was I studying? Psychology, great. Um, and I, need, I wanted to raise my grade point average and my friend was like, hey, take an acting class. And I was like, no, no, I can't. I don't want to do that, that's freaky. Um, and he said, it'll, raise, it'll help you get an easy A. And I was like, done. Uh, and I jumped into the class and it was... It felt so good. It felt so good to step into somebody else's shoes and tell a story and to learn about somebody else by speaking their words. And I loved it. 
and I got good feedback. And so with my one acting class, I moved to LA, thinking I'd be a star. That didn't work out. Uh, Moved to San Francisco, decided to get training, because that might help. And right before I went to training, I had my first audition experience. And I went in, and I had never um, experienced a cold read before. And a cold read is when they give you the sides there, they give you the script there, and you're supposed to read it. And I show up, and I didn't know that. So I spent two hours trying to track down a photocopy machine to enlarge it so I could read it. Found one, enlarged it, went back into the room. It was still so small that I had to press it against my face and the director, after two hours, the director said, if you can't read the script, you don't belong on stage. And this is one of those moments, this is one of those pivotal moments where the pain was so severe, I could have quit right right then and there. But I didn't. I decided to go and get more training. So, I gotta fast forward the story, because I did get more training. I went to class after class, and I battled with teachers who told me I didn't belong there, and I said, I do belong here. And I found other ways of doing things, and I, got, I actually got into grad school, American Conservatory Theater, which is one of the best uh, MFA programs in the country, and I got into that school, and I'm still the only... Actually, there's only two blind, legally blind actors in the, actresses in the country with an MFA in acting, and I'm one of them. And that, yeah... There should be like a hundred of us already, but that's another story. So I go through grad school, and this is where challenge becomes opportunity. Is every time somebody said no, I had to reframe it so that their no's meant a yes to me. It meant, no, I'm not supposed to go through that doorway. I'm actually supposed to go over there. They were just signposts leading me in the direction that I actually needed to go. For example, there was a, uh, and this doesn't have to do with my blindness, but it does have to do with like affirming my own vision for myself. There was a show that I was doing called Master and Margarita, and I was cast in The Angel of Death, and I had no lines. And the director said, I, want, I have long red curly hair. And the director's Eastern European, and he said, I want your long curly hair to be everywhere. And uh, that's all I have to say. <laughs> and I said, actually, if I'm the angel of death, I should be gender neutral. I should, people should know if I'm male or female. So, no, I'm going to have a short black wig on, and you won't know. And he's like, fine, okay, whatever you want. And, he's, and he was saying, there's, you know, I had no lines, so I wasn't being called to rehearsal, so all of a sudden I just started showing up and putting myself in the scenes. Because I'm like, if I'm the angel of death, I am everywhere at all times. <laughs> so I put myself in the entire show. Um, and the thing was, is that I didn't really understand what I was doing at the time, but the feedback I was getting from people, from the, um, from the teachers, were like, well, you have to fit into the, vi- the director's vision. And I was thinking to myself, but he doesn't have a vision for me, so I have to create a vision for myself. So that was one of those, those moments, because at the end of that show, who do you think the character was that people remembered most? The angel of death. Okay. Fast forward. Graduate from ACT. Go to New York. Think I'm going to make it big. Um, This is the acting industry. (laughs) 
It's very difficult for anyone to make it big. Um, it was very hard, very, very difficult. And I'm not going to dance around that at all. Um, but to get through it, I created my own work. I created my own show, uh, several. I started writing and directing. And that gave me a lot of... Uh, not only self-confidence, but I was able to have an outlet to sort of crack open my brain and express the things that were going on in there. Let's just keep fast-forwarding. In New York, creating my own work, not getting any work from other people, having a tough time, um, have a breakdown, actually. Move back to San Francisco, because that's where I was from. And recover. Create a community there. Or I should say, find a community there. And realize that as I start auditioning, I had to learn how to accommodate for myself. Because I had no mentors. There was no other blind or low vision people I could look to and say, how did you do this? How did you do this? So each audition experience I went into, I had to figure it out. And I did. And each play I was in, I had to figure out how I was going to do certain things. And I did. And I had to learn how to talk to people about it. And I did. And I made a lot of mistakes along the way. You know, sometimes conversations were very difficult and very awkward. But they happened. And I started getting a reputation around Bay Area for being a great actor. That just happened to be legally blind, which is really cool because I don't, I never wanted a reputation of being a great legally blind actor. I want a reputation of being a great actor. Right? So... One way in which opportunity or challenge was turned into opportunity, and this is, this, this is sort of like every, something like this happens in every play. But there was one show that I was doing, and I'll get to NCIS, I promise, I promise. Um, but there was one show I was doing. I played five different characters, because um, I do a lot of trans, I do a lot of like transformational stuff, you know, sort of just changing characters all the time. Um, so I was doing this show where I was playing five different characters, and one of them was a soldier in World War One, and I had four different castmates, and the opening scene of the play, we had to literally launch ourselves over a ten-foot-tall ledge onto the ground as though we were diving into a, uh, what is it called? Um, thank you, a trench. We were carrying rifles and bayonets and wearing gas masks. The first time I did it, all the guys just jumped right over it, and I couldn't. I just couldn't. I had to go very, very slowly because they could see all the footholds. I had to feel my way down. And the director said, do we need to change this? And I said, just give me, give me time. So I took my own time. After every rehearsal, I would go in and I would climb down that trench over and 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 over. I probably did it 200 times. So that by the end of it, or I should say by the end of rehearsal and the beginning of opening, I flew over that trench with the bayonet and I didn't stab anybody. That was a big win. Okay, fast forward. Um, I'm doing well in San Francisco. I'm getting lots of big parts. I'm working in big theaters. Um, I'm having good conversations with theaters. Um, I'm getting theaters to actually start audio audio describing for the first time. I said, if I'm in a show, you're going to audio describe it because I want my people to be able to come and watch me. Um, 
three more minutes? I just got the three-minute mark. I know. I'm sad, too. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk about NCIS. That's how this rolls. It was awesome. Um, When I booked NCIS, the first thing that I got was a phone call from the director and the producer. And they were like, so how is this going to work? I'm not sure. We've never worked with your kind before. Um, no, they didn't really. I'm, I, so that's hyperbole, but that's how it felt. So I, uh, so I actually wrote, I decided to write a cheat sheet for them of how to work with a, and which I'd never done before. I was like, here you go. Here's the language you use. These are the identifiers I like. Um, when you give me direction, I may not look at you, but trust me, I'm listening. Um, and kind of went through this whole sort of step-by-step step about how, I, how things are going to work. And unbeknownst to me, that cheat sheet made its way around the entire NCIS production. <laughs> plus the next show that I was on. So it actually circulated through CBS. Did I tell you that, Eric? No. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, I didn't know that because I had jokes all the way through it, too. I was, like, telling the director they should wear feathers because I could see feathers. Um, she didn't do that, though, and that's too bad. <laughs> anyway, I'm so bummed. I've been talking, so I want to talk about NCS. Um, I will say that one of the things that, that did happen that was so extraordinary with NCIS, and this is why it was such a win, they were committed to authentic representation. And so every moment, every opportunity that I had on there, I upheld that. I upheld their commitment and my commitment. For example, when they got the script, I saw the final draft. I met the writer. I was like, Brendan, it's so great to meet you. I have some notes. He was totally open to it. Awesome. First day on set, uh, Mark Harmon. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Silver Fox. Uh, That's all I'll say. We were in dialogue. How would this actually go down? And everyone was open to those conversations. Um, They changed the condition that they had written for congenital glaucoma. I was like, that's... Sighted people are going to not know, but my blind community will know. So you need to change the condition. And so they changed it to my condition. Awesome. Um, and through the dialogue, too, there were moments where Brendan Fahili, who was awesome, and the director gave me some leeway. So I was like, I think, can I change the language here? They're like, great. Can I change the language here? Great. So it really became this truly authentic piece that I'm so deeply proud of. And NCIS deserves so much of that credit. And I also want to say, because I feel like I'm going over the three minutes now. <laughs> I did my own stunts in that. <laughs> Which they weren't going to let me do, but then they met me and they're like, oh, okay, no, she can do it. <laughs> so I got thrown down on that couch, grabbed, my hair got grabbed, I got thrown down on that couch about 15 times. Um, but all this to say that there, there is something extraordinary when we choose to have a vision for ourselves that others don't have for us, right? Yes, right. And to go forward into each room and say yes to me, yes, 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 because we're going to hear so many no's that we must say yes to ourselves. We must. 
and our community. And with that, my intention, I must leave with an intention for you, for me. We've got some gentlemen speaking to my left right now. I'll be done in two minutes, I promise. That's how I roll. Okay, I want to leave you with a quote and an intention. Some of you may have already heard this, but Marianne Williamson, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is not our light. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, the question is, who are you not to be? So my deepest intention for all of you right now is own your fabulousness. Own your absolute uniqueness. Own your power to be magnificent creators of your own reality and destiny. Thank you so much. Okay, um, next up, actually, if you look at your program, uh, washing has never been easier. I'll believe it when I see it, and I'm a blind guy. Um, but actually, that, that, that kind of plays into this thing, um, uh, and it's one of these incredible stories. So we have a uh, father and son team. I dare say the son is the rock star, probably put it together, rather like that fellow from India who developed the uh, Braille printer out of Lego. I think it's a similar dynamic. So we have Mr. Sam Duplessis, who is the design lead of First Build, and his son, Jack, who is a sophomore at DuPont High School in, I was going to say university, but it's DuPont High School, which gives you an idea of... Uh, what kind of wonder camp we got here from Louisville, Kentucky. So maybe some people in the KCB crowd know uh, this individual who had the presentation. I introduce to you Sam and, son, Sam and Jack Duplessis. Thank you very, very much for allowing us to come and present at your conference. Um, my name's Sam Duplessy, and beside me is my son, Jack. He is a 15-year-old, and I just wanted to uh, share with you um, what we've done through the company that I work for, First Build. Um, just, I wanted, I think, to show what Jack has been able to invent, you really need to understand a little bit about the company that I work for and how we can uh, develop products. And, and ultimately, we're finding some solutions for accessibility that, we're, um, you know, that are out there that are stuff that uh, we've got talented young men like my son Jack that can work on and develop for us. But just a little bit about First Build. Coming it is to us a, now from Iran is Ali Asadi. 
Oh, oh that, that wasn't about first build, but uh, <laughs> what uh, first build is a wholly owned subsidiary of GE Appliances, and we're a little innovation studio um, where we try to design, build, and sell appliances uh, with 20 people. And so that's a little bitty place. We're on the University of Louisville campus in Louisville, Kentucky. And yeah, go Louisville, uh, even though I graduated from UK. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's all good, though. We, uh, we hire a lot of U of L students, and we love our relationship with the university. But um, what we, we, we develop products in an open way. We have a makerspace where we have lots of tools and we put all those tools for, for there for us to make appliances and innovate and we try to make 12 new things a year. Through that innovation, we thought maybe we can invite others to come in openly and innovate with us. And that's how our doors get open to people like Jack and others who have the capability to um, invent things. And they, we open our doors and let people to come invent with us. So... Um, one of the ways we get ideas is through uh, community. You can join our community. It's online. You can come in our door and give us ideas. But we also do something called a hackathon. And a hackathon is where we, we invite uh, several hundred people to come spend a weekend with us. It's 24 hours a day. And we'll try to in, break up into teams of th you know three to four people. And they try to compete for prizes of who can make the best thing. And we don't, we, we don't really limit it to what they can work on. We try to do it in the home because being a part of GE Appliances, we'd like to have solutions in the home. And one of our hackathons a couple years ago, our prize winner was a cooktop that was for the visually impaired. And it had um, some really unique features that we thought were rather simple that hadn't been invented yet. It was an induction cooktop, and it had burner locators built onto it. So when you placed your pan, it auto-located on the burner. It had um, some voice-enabled so you could command it through Amazon. And it also had proximity sensors, so when you approached it, it would tell you if a burner was on or if a burner was hot. And... Um, we thought it was unique, and we, as an appliance manufacturer, had never worked on anything, you know, that specific before. So, um, so what that did, it made us reach out into the community, because we want to build for our customers, and we reached out to American Printing House for the Blind and said, do you have anybody on your technical team that could come, you know, assess this? Is it any good or not? And Larry Scutcheon, uh, who you may know or have heard of, uh, came in and uh, he said, this is really great. And then he says, uh, looking at it, he goes, it must look wonderful. And I was like, well, where is he going with that? Uh, but he goes, but I could never use it because it didn't have knobs. And we just started thinking, you know, he's, he's opening our eyes to how to take a really nice appliance and maybe... We did introduced it with cap touch, which was harder to use, but it'd been a lot better if it just was introduced with knobs. And and so we 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 started to learn. And he said, by the way, your laundry um, is becoming impossible to use. 
It's all electronic. The knob spins 360 degrees. There's no home position. You go, um, can you just, you know, give me a home beep on this? And at least I know where the knob is. And um, this is where I turn it over to Jack because Jack uh, was a programmer and uh, I gave him the idea of, can you help me make this thing have a home beep? Jack, why don't you just tell everybody just a minute about yourself and when you started programming and then then talk about your device. So um, I'm 15 now. I started this project around two years ago um, at uh, the end of eighth grade. And I've been a pretty active programmer since around fourth grade. So I really wanted to uh, take up this project. So the device itself... We, um, instead of just making it beep, I thought, actually try and make it speak out voices so it could announce the setting, the actual settings that were being changed on the washer and dryer. So we uh, started to, I started to prototype that and we, we got that, a simple idea of what we were um, thinking to make the washer and dryer more accessible, you know, working in a weekend. So when you turn the knob, it would say cottons or normal or whatever it was you know it would announce the setting as it was as you interacted with it so and the device itself we made it run on a raspberry pi which is a very small computer about the size of a credit card so uh, and we continually improved it we we after we added the knob trying to make the knob more accessible by you know, adding the voices. We, there's some other buttons on the washer and dryer. We made it work with both the washer and dryer. Um, so there's different buttons. We made those speak, and we tried to do as much as we could. And we sent <clears throat> the... It's a, it's a box with this computer inside of it that hooks into the back of GE washer and dryers through a service port. And we sent it back for feedback. And we got feedback. We, we found bugs. You know, what could change? What could we add? And something we did add was you could, you could get how much time was left on a running cycle. So just many different things as it continually improved and got better and changed uh, for the development of the device. So. so I've got a little bit of a recording of what the device does. Uh, I'll just skip through pieces. I've got a recording that's on my phone of how the device sounds. What Jack uh, implemented, he implemented this a couple different ways. The first thing he did was a text-to-speech editor um, that uh, let let him develop it uh, quickly. Then we went to recorded voices when it was a simple uh, uh, implementation. But as he started adding features that were requested by the, the people testing it, and Jack didn't mention, we, we got to test it at Kentucky School for the Blind in their dorms. And, and um, there's a Kentucky office for the visually impaired that has a living learning center, and we put units there. And also, um, uh, Larry Scutcheon helped us develop this. We had a, a pair at his house. And... Um, with all the feedback, we went back to text-to-speech, and Jack played with the voices, but here's what it sounds like. For the talking washer module, when you turn the main knob, it will speak each setting. Here are the settings. Casuals. Delicates. Active wearer. Cold wash. Speed wash. Rinse and spin. Sanitize. Jeans. 
heavy duty, bulky items, towels and sheets, wipes, colors. Some options may vary based on the model of washer that you purchase. In addition, depending on the cycle, you can adjust spin speed. These are just some other options that we added. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. That's okay. We can tell about the pause, the cue, the status. Um, so it uh, the it would go through. Uh, we got it. It will also um, when you when you start a cycle, it'll say, you know, starting whatever cycle with however much time left. So that was some feedback we got to add a feature to query how much time was left while the while the machine was running. And you can walk up to it any time and get that feedback, how much time is left, what's running, what the settings are. Um, it, so you know if it's got like 20 minutes left in the cycle, you press the button, uh, it'll tell you how much time's left and you can go about and do something else. That, that really came back in feedback from the dorm at the Kentucky School for the Blind. But then Larry said that, hey, this is really helpful because you never really know when it's going to be done. So, um, the story doesn't end there. We did put this product for sale. Being a a company that uh, wants to sell things, we put it for sale and we offered it. um, We have it for sale on our website. We build it to order. It works with GE washers and dryers that are late models, and we sell it for $199. What we're... But we, it, we didn't stop. We engaged the University of Louisville senior design team to help us redesign it to try to get cost out of it so that we could offer it for less. We, they've designed a plastic housing and reduced the number of parts. Jack reprogrammed the user interface so that it's easier to use. And um, we hope in the next month or two to start offering the same device, same functionality that works on more models of washer and dryer, uh, GE washers and dryers for $99. And um, we learned a lot. And part of what I have to do in my job as head of technology is feed technology back to GE appliances. So, you know, even if we don't put the development where we had speakers in every washing machine or every appliance, we can change some of the controls so that if it's going through four different settings, uh, at least what the top setting has a different beep. So that when you're changing that, you can know where you are at the, that one position. There were so many little things that we could do that improved the uh, accessibility of our controls. So we fed that back, and that's now written into the standards when they launch controls. <laughs> and um, we've got some models, actually, that do have speakers already in them. So we, I, a couple weeks ago, asked, it's a dishwasher, and I asked some co-ops, some co- the, their interns in computer science, I said, 
this unit has a dishwasher and, and the beauty of electronics these days uh, if it does make things more complicated, the, the microprocessors are becoming more powerful. The dishwasher microprocessor that has a speaker on it had enough capability where we programmed it to talk. It, um, it's, it's, it's not in production. We're, we're a ways away from being able to produce it. But we don't have to add any cost. We just have to program it and enable a, um, a voice function to that device. And um, it's something that I continue and passionately work with and try to get our teams to um, engage on. So we have proof of concept, and I hope maybe sometime next year that we can come and tell you how we've been able to do that in other appliances. Uh, so, th so that's all, and thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Are you going to be showing it somewhere, or I, did you bring it? I, ha I have the device, the prototype for the pla plastic device, which I don't. Uh, I, c I can leave it at somewhere so that you can uh, see it and feel it, but it won't plug in. It won't make yeah. any noise. So. But um, I do have it with me. Yeah, we don't have a washing machine up here on the podium. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We, we, all came, we all came appropriately Thank attired. Give Thank you. Give me a Great. <laughs> Thank you. Turn this mic down a little. Okay, the last presentation, as I indicated. What? Website. website. Firstbuild.com, F-I-R-S-T-B-U, build, B-Y-L-D.com. Okay, as stated before, this will be the last presentation today, and uh, given Eric's association with these fine group of attorneys, uh, I'm not one of them, I am an attorney, or I was. I'm retired, I'm happy to be retired. But I'm going to let Eric uh, introduce the last uh, grouping today. All right. What a morning. Jam-packed. Well, this last uh, presentation is something that is uh, uh, near and dear to my heart professionally and also personally. Uh, we've been working with the Washington Lawyers Committee uh, for Civil and Urban Rights for over five years on a, a series of different issues uh, pertaining to access, whether it was federal contractors who are blind not being able to have access to renew their, uh, their annual registrations through a, a little website called SAM.gov that millions of federal contractors have to <laughs> utilize every year, that the, uh, the government, that the General Services Administration operates and owns, whether it was individuals with guide dogs being denied access to Washington, D.C. Uh, taxi cabs, and uh, a series of, of other technology advocacy-based uh, 
issues as ACB has uh, continued to, to grow our influence in, uh, in the tech community. The Lawyers Committee has been with us every step of the way. Uh, Matt Hanley, uh, the former Director of Litigation, Deepa Garaya, Associate Counsel, and Jonathan Smith, who will be speaking with you all in a minute, the Executive Director of the Washington Lawyers Committee, are all here this morning to be with us. Uh, it, you know, again, this is a busy week for vacations for folks. Um, it is uh, our great pleasure to have them here. And with that, I'd like to introduce the Executive Director of the Washington Lawyers Committee for Civil and Urban Rights, Jonathan Smith. Jonathan. I, I really thank you, Mayor and Council for the Blind, for this tremendous award, and thank you, Eric, for that very generous... We're on the mic. Oh, I'm sorry. There you go. I'm sorry. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> Sitting back here, you can tell how bad the sound actually is, so I apologize. And thank, thank you, Eric, for that really generous and kind um, introduction. And I can't tell you how much it means to the Washington Lawyers Committee to receive an award called the Partnership Award, because the, we have really been in partnership through all this work together with the, um, uh, with, the, with ACB. And ACB is really a truly valid partner, and we are really honored to join with you in the work for justice for blind and the low vision community. As Eric said, um, I'm here to accept the award on behalf of the Washington Lawyers Committee, but we have with us the two lawyers who really did this work, and uh, Eric mentioned them, Deepa Garaya and Matthew Handley, which... Uh, but it's worth mentioning again, they're really the true honorees uh, here today for their incredible work. The Washington Lawyers Committee is 50 years old this year. We're taking our anniversary as an opportunity to pause and look at our, back at our history as we plan for our future. As we assess our past, several themes jump out, one of which is the critical role of the civil rights struggle for persons with disabilities. Just over 25 years ago, the Americans with Disabilities Act embodied in law fundamental principles of equality. The Washington Lawyers Committee immediately founded a disability rights project. But we soon learned that disability touches every aspect of our work. We have partnered closely with ACB to make accessible public accommodations, the digital economy, and employment for persons who are blind. But disability rights affects all of our work. We have cases and projects, on, <coughs> cases to protect the rights of persons with disability on our docket related to housing, education, police account policing accountability, prisoners' rights, and immigration. Disability discrimination intersects with economic inequality and exacerbates racial injustice. We have been privileged to work at the critical intersection of these issues. When he signed the Americans with Disabilities Act, President George Bush issued a signing statement that ended with the following words. The Americans with Disabilities Act presents us all with an historic opportunity. It signals the end to unjustified segregation and exclusion of persons with disabilities from, mainstream, from the mainstream of American life. As the Declaration of Independence has been a beacon for people all over the world seeking freedom, it is my hope 
that the Americans with Disabilities Act will likewise, likewise come to be a model for the choices and opportunities of future generations around the world. The ADA has achieved much, but this promise remains unfulfilled. Far too many people with disabilities are excluded from the economy and isolated by discrimination. The blind community continues to face discrimination and prejudice, and our partnership with you to achieve the ideals described by President Bush remains as vital today as it has ever been. We recognize that our victories in the courtroom are only possible because there are courageous people willing to step forward and lead these battles. The American Council of the Blind and its membership has for years been willing to take that step forward and has been one of the community's most cherished clients and strongest allies. Civil rights challenges are not static, and new forms of discrimination emerge with frequency. This is especially true for the blind and visually impaired. New and previous absent barriers to accessibility arise as we become increasingly dependent on technology. Technology should make accessibility easier, simpler, and cheaper, but far too often it becomes a barrier. We continue to see inaccessible smartphone apps, automated kiosks, online courses, medical devices, and as we just heard, common appliances. When the government or companies fail to consider whether new technologies are accessible to persons with disabilities, the resulting products serve only to isolate and to exclude. It has been our privilege to advocate on behalf of ACB and its members to tear down these barriers. The last five years in particular have seen the relationship between the Washington Lawyers Committee and ACB strengthen and flourish, and we have jointly set, set about to bring new legal solutions to 21st century accessibility issues. The range of issues in just these last five years that the Washington Lawyers Committee has tackled with ACB and its membership is staggering. It highlights the continued need for advocacy and, in some instances, litigation in order to fulfill the promise of equal access. The issues the Washington Lawyers Committee has addressed with ACB in the last five years include the following. We have guaranteed that the United States General Service Administration provides an accessible web-based platform for the hundreds of blind and visually impaired government contractors across the country who must use the systems to register and maintain their contracts with the United States government. We have ensured that the DC, uh, the DC area taxi cabs and other ride-sharing companies accept rides with service animals. We have worked the federal, with the federal through the Federal Communications Commission to ensure that mainstream computer operating system developers, leading phone providers, and web conferencing services offer products and software that are accessible. We made Barbary the leading Bar Review Preparation Course, accessible to blind and visually impaired law students. Barbary is used by well over 90% of bar exam take takers, making it an essential gateway to the profession. We secured settlements with hospitals to make touchscreens kiosks accessible to blind and visually impaired patients, as well as ensure that all documents are provided in accessible formats. These are only a portion of the cases we have brought to ensure access to the digital economy and to public accommodations. You will see, see a theme here. Almost all of the accessible barriers addressed in recent years are the product of advances in technology outpacing considerations of accessibility. What may be less obvious is how the results 
we have achieved on behalf of the ACB are as much a product of the ABC, of ABC and its membership as they are a product of our legal advocacy. For example, the success we had before the FCC has only been possible because of ACB's tireless advocacy in support of the passage of the very law we now enforce. ACB crafted the tool that we as lawyers are now able to use to bring accessibility to communications and video devices. Similarly, our success in ensuring that DC area taxicab companies accept, accept service animals grew out of a sophisticated testing operation led by your executive director, Eric Bridges, and your former executive director, uh, Melanie Brunson, who personally documented hours of the frustration faced by persons with service animals who were consistently passed over by hailed taxis. Indeed, in each of these matters in which we have worked with ACB, the cases and solutions have been driven by ACB's membership. You have been indefatigable advocates for the right to a just and equal society. Enduring depositions, hearings, mediations, and what I'm sure are far too long conversations with us about the cases. These successes are critical, but clearly not enough. Our partnership remains essential. We are excited to continue to join efforts on the important issues that have animated our partnership. But hope as well that we can expand that work to fight discrimination and access to employment and education, discrimination in government services and in the courts, and the dual discrimination of race and disability. Civil rights are under attack, including disability rights. Your efforts will ensure that there is no turning back of the clock and that the forward progress is maintained. We stand together in that struggle. We take pride in having ACB and its officers, staff, and membership as clients, colleagues, and most especially as friends. We are particularly honored to receive this award, and we look forward to continuing to work together. Thank you very much. Okay. Right. Team ready. <laughs> We're not ready yet. <laughs> not ready yet. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. I'm sorry. I just kathunk. I just uh, clubbed our lawyer here. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's my privilege. Um, to, to recognize the Washington Lawyers Committee with the American Council of the Blind President's Award. It's a special award that the president has the discretion to award when someone or an entity has really distinguished themselves as a true partner in our work. So this award is presented to the Washington Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights and Urban Affairs, for its tireless legal advocacy, and for expanded opportunity and equal access on behalf of blind and visually impaired individuals. July 2nd, 2018, St. Louis, Missouri. Congratulations and thank you. I think they want to take a picture, so okay. hold on one okay. second. Okay. Hold on. Yep. 
Okay. And by Deepa. All right. Okay, and he's over there. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, John. Wrap it up. I will. Okay. <laughs> okay, at long last, but but um, I've been asked to announce the FIA showcase. There are still tickets available, despite the fact that I'm not performing. I think you should go. Uh, it's a great organization. It's always a great time. And at the end of the FIA showcase, a local band of blind folks are going to provide uh, entertainment for you to dance to. So not only is it for performance, it's for, uh, you know, uh, dancing and good stuff like that. Are there any final announcements? Door prizes. All right, a few door prizes. If, if the door prize people are here, we can do two or so. Are they? Oh. Yeah, they're here. Oh, you need a mic. Okay, okay. Just say a word into it occasionally. And when you hear your voice come back to you, you'll know it's on. It's that simple. Okay, I don't know which mic it is. The AV people are on it, I believe. Don't ask me to do stand-up comedy while they do it. No? It may come to that. Rick's working on it. Rick's working on it. Okay. Testing. We hear you here. We're hearing it through a monitor. We're hearing it through the monitor speaker. Okay. Shh. Quiet. Quiet, please. Order. I will... I will repeat it. Whatever she says, I will repeat. $20 and bison turkey. Oh, Weiss's turkey. Weiss's, not bison, like the animal? Jerky. It's jerky. Jerky part. Kim got both parts. I got bison, as in, you know, the people used to roam the buffalo and all that. Okay. Okay. Talk too much, that's what I can hear. Richard who? Richard Nola. Oh, yeah. Don. It's, it's Don. He's not here. All right. Keep, keep going. Keep going. This is not really working. Joe Steiner? Schneider. Joel Schneider. Joel Schneider. <laughs> He's working. He's working. He's working or is he? How does that work? Why don't you go ahead and say Joel will get his prize? Joel will get his prize. Thank Joel is working. Yes. Joel's working. One more. One more. Shh, please. Order. Another two. Rick Bacchus? Rick Bacchus. Rick Bacchus, not here. Here? Kentucky? Kentucky. Not here, apparently. I know, I know. Move on. 
Eric Harvey, he's one of the scholarship winners. He's one of the... California. Nope. Nope, move on. Adele from Mississippi? Okay. Sounds like a plan. That sounds That's close. Okay. More tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> we stand in recess until tomorrow morning at 8.30. Thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, that concludes today's session. I'll have the replay up in the next uh, hour or so, as well as having it available on the convention podcast feed. And again, that's acbradio.org forward slash acb-convention.xml. If you are using your podcatching device or app, uh, that's what you put into it to add it. Um, it's also available in iTunes, so you can search for it there, and it should show up in uh, Downcast or Overcast or whatever app you're using. So with that, Sign off, and we won't be doing any live streaming this afternoon. Um, We're not streaming any workshops today on the live event. Uh, This evening, we will be streaming on the ACB Radio Cafe with the Friends in Art Showcase. That starts at 7.30 p.m. Central Time. That's 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time, and 5.30 p.m. Pacific Time. Okay, and we will talk to you later.